0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree, code for easy online payments. To learn more right now, visit BraintreePayments.com SuperTrain. And by Cards Against Humanity. This week, they asked Henry Birdseye to help me say hi to John. Now it's
1: time for two dudes, they're on the phone.
0: Hello. Hi, John. Merlin Man. John Roderick. John. Oh, I'm kind of disoriented. I am super duper disoriented. Oh, God, I'm so glad. You're really, well, you're, uh, what's the opposite of uh, totally late? You're, you're punctual today. Yeah, I'm super punctual. What's up, what's up with that? Well, I just had a sebaceous cyst
2: removed from my head like 20 minutes ago. Really? You're recently cystless? I'm now cystless for the first time in over 10 years. And uh, so both, I am both a, quite considerably disoriented,
0: but also here on time. Sebaceous. Cyst, sebaceous cyst. Oh no! You had like a lump,
2: a big lump, for twelve <laughs> years, probably or maybe fifteen years. I don't, I don't. Long, long time. We, like, we just like touching it all the time. Yeah, and it was on the back of my head, kind of the reverse temple, right? Not directly on the back of my head, but at the same angle of a temple, except in the back. Oh, if you had
0: a second face on the back of your head, it would be on its its temple. It'd be on the temple, and so. I couldn't really wear
2: a hat very comfortably. I couldn't, I, it, it interfered with my sleep. You know, it was just sort of back there where your head lies on the pillow. But I never did anything about it because, meh. Yeah. That would did require... You know,
0: did you know that it was a sebaceous
2: cyst? I did because, you know, when I first got it on the back of my head, I was like, oh, dear. Yeah. you don't You don't want lumps. You don't want a lump on your head. And then I did a little bit of asking around. And I was like, oh, it's a sebaceous cyst, whatever. It's nothing. But then it was just, it's been there forever. And I just got the my first primary care physician in years. And I think I even have mentioned it to doctors before. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's a sebaceous cyst. I mean, you can get it. Like they showed no concern about it. No one even wanted the money that they would get from removing it. They mm. just were like, yeah, oh, you can do it or not. I mean, it doesn't matter. But I finally, I've got this primary care doctor, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get that removed. So I went in today, and I I realized, like, I've been thinking about this guy for years. I think about it all the time. I reach up. Anytime I reach up and touch my head, I'm like, uh. And it, it moved around
0: but oh my also, goodness!
2: Now that now that that's I wouldn't expect that. No, it didn't move around my head. But if you grabbed it and and like wiggled it, it would Ew. it would move, you know. And oh, I, and it was right. a party trick, right? I'd say, hey, why don't you grab my cyst? <laughs> uh, and I realized that I have imagined taking it out myself with an exacto knife many many times. It seems like something you could, you've taken out cold sores bigger than this. Well, except this is like a, this is a sack mm. the size of a turkey uh, liver.
1: What?
0: I mean, it's enor- it was enormous. It was. I'm not that familiar with, with turkey organs. Give me, give me <sighs> another example.
2: It was the size of oh, like a. a
0: coin purse or a USB yeah, dongle?
2: Yeah, somewhere between a USB dongle and a coin purse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was full of hummus. Mm-hmm. And it was just sitting in there. Uh, and so finally I was like, why don't you take this? The doctor was like, I'll do it in 20 minutes. And so he put some anesthesia in my sebaceous cyst and he cut it out with his X-Acto knife. And uh, and I was the whole time I was like, listen, I you've got to show this to me because I've been thinking about this guy for 15 years. He and I have a relationship with this little fella.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And I don't want to just have you cut it. It's like that thing where they they take something out of you, and then you're like, let me see it. And they go, oh, we already threw it away.
0: I can't it's believe like, they throw things away. They, sh- you, I mean, just for closure. For closure, thank you. You know, I'm not a big burial fan, but I, I get the open casket.
2: Yeah, right.
0: You're yeah. like, is he really dead? Yes, mm-hmm. he's dead. Touch him. Could, so but he, so it wasn't just a bunch of stuff under your skin. He could actually show you, like, the sealed unit. Well, so, you know, they cut it, and then they squeeze it.
1: Ooh.
2: And then they cut out the little sack, which is, like I say, like a like a bag, mm-hmm. uh, a, a bag that seems like it's made out of chicken fat, except it's a bag. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I was like, I was like, listen, I want to see it all. I want to see what was in it. I want to see the bag. I want the whole nine because I don't want to. I mean, you know, I need to say goodbye, but also, I want to say fuck you to it. But I just I've imagined it so much that I want to know what it is. For a long time, I thought it was full of saline, mm-hmm. but then I realized, like, no, it's full of I, it's full of what I would describe as matter. Yeah, but they were describing as tissue. I was like, well, there's for me, there's a lot of there's a big gap between tissue and matter. Yeah, but you know, it's nomenclature.
0: I think of tissue as being. uh I'm not a physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of tissue as being a little bit more solid. Like it could be squishy, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be liquidy. Yeah, it's connected to you somehow. And this is, I mean, is this if you like can, the, Is this like the fat that you trim off a chicken, John? Is it that
2: kind of thing? Well, that's what the bag looked like. But I swear to you, the stuff that was inside looked like hummus. Mm,
1: that's
0: and a it, Mediterranean treat. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. The hummus oh. tree.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so in researching these sebaceous cysts, I discovered that there is an and for those of you who are who are eating while listening to the podcast, first, yeah. you should know not to do that Mm-mm. we're the ones but, who eat not you but second of all, it's only going to get worse if you're queasy or that type of person, I don't know. go take a walk around the block. but I discovered that there is an there is an enormous subculture of people who relax and deal with the stresses of the day. By watching YouTube videos of people squeezing pimples.
0: Yeah, you you you
2: taught me about this last week.
0: Oh, I this was only last week I talked about this? Yeah, it, it goes must, by every seven days or so. It must have been because I was thinking of my sebaceous cyst. Mm-hmm. So the Oh, like as as recently as a week ago, you're still kind of on the bubble. You're still on the cyst about whether this is something you wanted to get treated. Yeah, yeah. I was,
2: you know, but I've thought about it all the time. I'm surprised we haven't talked about it fifty times because I think about it all the time. And uh and Within the context of the zip-popping culture, sebaceous cysts are right at the top of things that they want to see on YouTube, the squeezing. Oh, man. Talk about closure. Because I dated a girl who was one of those pickers, and I think there are a lot of pickers out there. There's a lot of closet poppers. Poppers and pickers who just, you know, and like... Like they just want to lay there and pick at you.
0: Well, there's uh, we've talked before about there's that subclass of people you, you meet in college or in a college town who want to clean your bong because they want the resin. And that that seems mean. weird. Okay, it's, it's right there, you're a bong cleaner. That's I, you well, know, yeah, pipe pipe, you know, proto pipe cleaner. You're you know, you're a Tuscan Raider. You know, you're out there. You're exactly. out there, pick, but then there are also people who you, you can tell them they're kind of they're kind of eyeballing you. They're kind of like going, mm. mm-hmm. You're like what is going on? You're like, can I pop that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a thing, right? Well, the thing is, I would never want to pop like something, something on somebody's. Well, frankly,
2: I don't want to pop anything. Well, you're not a popper and a picker. But like, I, I dated a girl that was a that was a strong picker, mm-hmm. and she it was it was very intimate to her. It was something that we would do after lovemaking. She'd be like,
0: "Oh, look at that little thing on the back of your neck or it's very, whatever." Very tender. It's like it's like two monkeys.
2: But yeah, it's exactly like two monkeys. But she was, you know, it was tender, but also, she would become monomaniacal and she and her girlfriends would sit and pick at each other that's kind of hot and talk about it uh, talk about it later you know wow. so and okay. and and then i realized that it was not uncommon but that most people didn't feel that most even people that you were you know dating so certainly it's not a thing to bring up when you're casually dating
1: Mm-mm.
2: but but uh but i discovered that given the opportunity if you broach the topic with somebody Like, what about, uh, what about this uh, picking? They will, typically you'll find more people than you thought will Mm -hmm. go like, oh, really? Could I, uh, could I, you know, like very taboo, exciting. It's like a Fifty
0: Shades of Grey for dermatology. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like before the internet, you know, like let's say you lived, you might live somewhere and uh, you didn't have the internet. And you didn't have magazines and you didn't have pay cable. And you might have some kind is, of very. What is pay cable? cable? <laughs> I mean, and how can I get pay cable? It's the medieval uh, precursor to Showtime. Oh, I see. <laughs> pay cable, m'lady. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, you might have something that you don't even realize is your special thing. Yes. You might, I mean, there, there are people, you reach a certain age in life and you have enough exposure to the internet, you realize that not only is your special thing a thing, that it's it. There are a lot of other people who have your special thing, and they might have your thing in a way that's much more special than you. Which actually kind of makes you feel maybe a little bit normal, maybe in a yeah. in a good way. It's it's you feel mm-hmm. you know. I'm maybe not, I'm, I'm not, not alone the crazy one, right.
2: I'm, not, I'm not the crazy picker here. I am just a
0: normal picker. Yeah, I mean, like imagine the first person, the first person who said on their wedding night, "Would you spank me?" Right. The first person that did that. This is this is probably what maybe in the 1600s, right? Uh, I think maybe even before, but yeah, right. Like, <laughs> but you know, but the thing is, though, there's there's certain kinds of special things that you're aware of, right? Like yeah. you might know about butt stuff things, or you mm-hmm. might know about braziers. uh huh, right? Or, or
2: uh, toes, like or a lot. You of- might
0: know about shrimping. Or shrimping. Shrimping,
2: yeah. I don't know about shrimping. That's when you yeah. go out on a boat and you, you get shrimp. Oh, I see. I see. That's not a. That's not like hot Carl. That's actually shrimping. <laughs> hot Carl. <laughs> shrimping.
0: Is a hot Carl is that like <laughs> a Dirty Sanchez kind of thing?
2: A hot Carl is in the family of a Dirty Sanchez. It's it? like a rodeo? Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Well, and I think this is this uh, this dovetails with finding your duck, right? I mean, it's some totally people finding
0: your duck, but it's also the thing about it though is, it, first of all, it's like it's the kind of thing where, like, you know what? Let's let's say in 2016, if you're uh, like a 15 year old girl, it might be much more permissible to say, "Hey, would you spank me?" You yeah. could even say it to another lady, and that would not be weird today. Whereas, I think you might still feel some compunction about saying. Is it okay if we have some heavy petting and then I I pick at your zits a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think this falls into the category
2: of finding your sex duck. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Find your sex duck. Because when I was young, I, you know, spanking was pretty taboo. Right. There were, there were like that. You'd, you'd watch a, you'd find a, uh, uh, eight millimeter movie about it. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, oh boy, these, (laughs) there's some people in, uh, in shriner outfits, like spanking people in their in their their frilly panties.
0: Yeah, and, and they make it look they make it look like it's just just like a cute thing you do this one time. But the thing is, the thing about a special thing is, some people's special things like that could become very much a part of the workflow. Yeah, you know? well, and I and I think over time we've
2: become desensitized. So now spanking just seems like normal normal sex play. It's just like spank spank spank. Yeah, that's not a big deal. You're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna need to join a special, uh,
0: club, you wouldn't you wouldn't in this day and age, you would not have to find a friend of a friend who could tell you about a spanking bar. Right, 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 right. Well, and I think what we, what
2: I'm not sure how much of this is millennial mythology and how much of it is millennial truth. It's so difficult to tell anymore. But, but you know, that whole line of thinking that is attributed to millennials which is that they wanted to keep their virginity, but they did engage in butt play. Hmm. They would they would put it in one another's butts. Oh, it's a butts first operation. Yeah, and then that kept their virginity. It's a it's kind of false. I think if you if somebody has been in your butt, your virginity is is a done
0: deal. But well, it was some that's, kind a, that's a very it's a very narrow old fashioned view, John. Well. I guess. I don't know. I feel, yeah. I, right. Was, I, I'll, I'll, put, I'll, say, I'll put it this way. If, if somebody had put that idea in front of me, the, the notion that you could do butt stuff for a couple, three years and still call yourself a virgin, I would have thought that was a little peculiar. Mm-hmm. Circa 1984.
2: Right. Because it always seemed that, uh, that butt stuff was an elevation from uh, normal sexy stuff.
0: Well, it's like saying I speed all the time, but I don't know how to drive a car. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you kind of, well, you know, you got to walk before you run. It, you know, usually you start in the front and move back. But but I feel like this the, the is... The opposite of how you put on hair product, by yeah, the way. start in the front and move to the back. That's With hair exactly product, right. you always start in the back, move to the front. Now, know, now, what about wiping? You know, a lot of people, they wipe wrong also.
2: Well, let's not talk about that. That's a thing that dads can talk about. Yeah. But it's not a thing that's in the general parlance. I'm that's not a that's not a thing to say on the. I'm seeing a lot day.
0: of people. A lot of people suffer in silence.
2: You, you wipe back to front. Hi, good to, good to meet you. See, you this back? is just
0: see. That's the kind of thing that in a few years that's going to seem really normal. It, there could be people who've been talking about wiping for years, but have never had you a know vaginal intercourse. But they're very comfortable talking about that. I feel the same way about my eyebrows, where like I'm not a picker of body parts. I don't think, but I've reached that age. I imagine you've reached this age where you, too.
2: Will you trim your eyebrows?
0: Well, yeah. Where, like, the production of hair on top, like, I'm—I got a pretty good head of hair. I'm yep. fortunate in that sense. But I will tell you that the growth, you know, the way they measure, like, uh, the problem with Apple, like, everybody's mad at Apple right now because Apple's growth has gone down. It's not that Apple's losing money; it's that their growth has slowed down.
2: Right. So my
0: growth—it not- has not been a big growth quarter for the top of my head. I see. Whereas over here in the uh, in the you know what in the iPhone vertical, you look at my ear at the ear, you got the nose, you got the eyebrows, mm-hmm. and that that is that is <laughs> that's that where is, it's all happening. That is a fecundity <laughs> of apps, my friend. <laughs> so what will huh? happen is my daughter will be sitting there, and she might be more of a picker than me because we'll be sitting there reading a book, and she'll be staring at me, and I'm like, "What is it? Is it an eyebrow?" And She says, "Yeah." yeah.
1: Mm, she'll, she wants she'll to like, get in there.
0: Well, no, she's it's really starting to bug her because I think it's you know uh, it's occluding some of the light. And so I go into the room, and I get the fancy tweezers, and I pull out the one Brezhnev hair. Does she want to see that? No, no, she can't stand blood or eyebrows. She doesn't like but, any of that stuff. And then it pulls out the little hair sack. That's when you know you've really hit it. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem is it starts out, this is the thing, is it, it, it starts out as I'm just going to go in the bathroom for 20 seconds, uh-huh. and I'm going to pull out this one rogue hair.
2: Oh, but then you get going.
0: Well, then the trouble is now you're looking you yeah. discover two more rogue hairs over here on the other side. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon you get to be one of those people who doesn't have eyebrows. Well, my sister, see my
2: dad got those big wizard eyebrows as years went on. <laughs> right. You know, just like unruly eyebrows. <laughs> he had like dune eyebrows. Yeah, and my sister hated it. You know, and and developed this uh this thing that I think um your daughter is also developing which is like she it, it became a trigger for her. And so when I get a rogue eyebrow now, which, you know, because we're young men, we're still young dads, hmm. it's not like I have these crazy uh, mad scientist eyebrows, but every once in a while one will get going, right? And it's, it'll be <laughs> four inches long or whatever, Whee! and always kind of with, a, with an insouciant curl. Mm-hmm. But if my sister sees it, she'll get furious. You know, oh, and
0: that, it really is. It's a trigger for her. Oh, it drives her nuts. It takes her back she, to the wizard days with your dad.
2: Yeah. So she used to sit, I think, and even trim my dad's eyebrows, like she, with little scissors. She would like get in there and just because it drove her bananas. Wow. But so now that I'm doing it, she's like, "Do not, do not, let your eyebrows go." And you know, and of course, I'm thinking to myself, "Boy, when I get really crazy eyebrows, that is going to be awesome."
0: Right? His crazy eyebrows. Come on. What does well, that say about a person? I know. Well, let me, let me pull this together a little bit here because there's a phenomenon. I wonder if you've seen this. Uh, you, you see somebody, and this is, this is, I'm not trying to be normative, but you see somebody who has like a really distinctive mole. Mm. And then you might see somebody who has a distinctive mole that's really more like a hillock. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You got a face mole. You got like, an you're rolling an Aaron Neville, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then the thing is, those will grow a hair or four.
2: Oh, I see. Yes.
0: So there's a guy, uh, used to be a muni driver in our neighborhood, and I I was hypnotized by this man because he had he had a he had a face mole that was the circumference of a quarter, you know, and I say good on you, right. right? It was it was raised, it was kind of about the same proportions as a pitcher's mound. Uh-huh. And he had he had a mole beard. He he had uh-huh. I'm gonna say four to nine hairs that were two to five inches long coming out of it Uh 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 so that was he was operating on another level he he knew that it was there and he was letting it go i mean he was he was was letting it happen he was the thing is how could you not get rid of those unless that was a thing that you were really exporting yeah right it's like
2: it's like uh i mean there's owning it and then there's rocking it you know what i'm saying
0: that's that that's a fuck you mole beard
2: yeah, you know I right. Mean? It's like you, don't, you right. don't
0: like the mole. Well, how about a, how about a beard
2: on a mole? How you feel about that? That's that's rocking it. And uh, and when somebody goes from that seems like that's goes, right.
0: John, I gotta say that it seems like that's right in your wheelhouse in terms of like being being a large man who wears tight pants, taking pictures of yourself for the internet, and mm-hmm. and having and driving around uh, you know uh, public transit while you got a mole beard. That seems mm-hmm. like that's something you could really honor.
2: No, not at all. Okay. I would never if I had a big mole on my face. I would I would uh, I would almost certainly try and get it removed. Because there are vanities and then there are vanities and big crazy eyebrows that comports exactly with my sense of myself that I should be wearing a tweed jacket with uh, patches on the elbows and mm-hmm. marching up and down in front of a, in front of a large lecture hall. Um, waving <laughs> behind, my hands around,
0: the lectern is shaped like an owl. Yeah, with the rubber with bands the, in your beard, conjuring pa- <laughs> things. <laughs> the, the
2: the pocket <laughs> of my pants covered with chalk dust. Even <laughs> even even though even though it's a uh, it's a white erase board, and uh, no chalk is required.
0: Just yeah. chalk dust, right? Like maybe they probably, chalk- they probably, they probably sell that to uh, tenured professors. You can just get a little packet of chalk dust. I keep I keep a bag of chalk in my pocket
2: from, from, I swear, like,
0: to, I swear to God officer. It's just chalkboard <laughs> it's chalk. just a bag of chalk.
2: Is that a sebaceous cyst?
1: Are
0: you no, just it's a bag of chalk. Me?
2: Uh, you know, so unruly eyebrows. Yes. But, a, but, uh, a, but a large mole with hair growing out of it is the wrong kind of warlock.
1: Hmm. You
2: know, like I'm, I intend, well, this is the thing. I don't consider myself a warlock. I consider myself a wizard. And I feel like there's a major difference.
0: If you're a warlock, you can wear a mole beard. We're getting into gender issues now. A warlock is uh, the gender male gendered version of a witch. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, but I, I, I'm not entirely clear on this. But I believe that a warlock has different duties, different skill set than a witch. But maybe, I but maybe I think...
0: different alignment.
2: No, same alignment. I think a warlock and a witch are sort of are like, uh, uh, synonymous more, more or less. Hmm. Uh, but like. Oh, and here's an interesting thing. Now that I'm thinking about the gendering of, uh, of magic,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: is there a female equivalent to a wizard or are female wizards just also wizards?
0: Well, d- don't imagine for a second I'm not thinking about it because right. is it wizard I, got, within... I, got, I got Harry Potter on my mind yeah. and I, 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 uh, I think they refer to witches and wizards. Yeah. Which seems but I, a little bit I mean, that's kinda of like referring to like sergeants and colonels a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, I think if you put an E on the end of Wizard I think of Wizards as being more in, in, in management. I think of them as being at least like like a commissioned officer. For yeah, for me, I feel like warlocks and
2: witcher witches are standing around a cauldron. Whereas oh, okay. wizards are carrying some kind of ball or staff. Okay. Right, so like a wizard might have a chalk bag in his robes, mm-hmm. but also some other stones. Some of them, you know, shiny. Some of them, you know, semi-opaque, and a staff, and maybe a familiar in the in the shape of a large-eared monkey or a you know like a a bat that can talk or an owl.
0: Something I recently learned. Uh, that that you have known uh, since since your teen years. I I did not know this. I did not know that in the world of Lord of the Rings, that wizards. Is, it, tell me if I'm right here. Wizards are actually a kind of angel. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think a. I don't think a wizard is a hopped up human. I mm-hmm. think it's. I think it's a humanish angel and boy are we gonna we're gonna get some alice about this one well
2: and uh, i think that's i think that's correct in my experience so so having not fully digested the cimmerillion but within the lord of the rings cosmology that i understand there is never ever ever any mention of god there are just people that are good and bad and they get more and more powerful so like sauron if there was a God in Lord of the Rings, you would think that God would at a certain point say, Sauron is super duper bad and he's using bad magic. And he's, he's like, I mean, Sauron gives life to bad orcs. Even Saruman was mm-hmm. giving life. He was, he was, he was birthing uh, Harokai. Mm-hmm. You can't, that's not a, I mean, that's a God like talent, but, but I, I never got the sense that, That Gandalf was an other, although he's never referred to as a man.
0: I I feel like I have to mention something at this juncture because almost everyone I know on the Internet is yelling. Yes, Mm -hmm. I am obliquely referring to a video by friend of the Internet, CGP Grey. Uh, this is you should check this guy's videos out, John. You would love this guy. If you ever seen that video explaining the difference between the British Isles and the UK, oh, I know these videos. Of course, that's this guy, CGP Grey. He's this guy who lives in England, where he kind of goes, does this entertaining lecture. And oh then my there's god, some, this like, is so zippity
2: zap graphics,
0: zippity zap graphics. But explaining, for example, explain. I mean, look, this is great stuff. Explaining how uh, the history of the monarchy in England.
2: Yeah, that was and, a great one. Although there was one, and I forget which one it was, where I like, somewhat took issue.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure which one okay, it was. Okay, well, the look, History look,
2: of England, I, I like that that's one.
0: That's a great right? one. Or, or, one of his most recent ones is a real mind-blower, and I'm sorry I showed it to my daughter. Basically trying to explain how the teleporter thing on Star Trek works. Oh, uh-huh. And like basically coming down, the only way that this thing makes any sense is that it is a death machine. That basically kills you and then recreates an exact version of you with your previous memories. Anyway, super fascinating. Yes, Internet, I hear you. Lord of the Rings mythology video by CGP Grey is where I learned about this, and I'll I'll send that link to you for for your own perusal. According to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, uh, Wizards of Middle-Earth are a group of beings outwardly resembling men, capital M, but possessing much greater physical and mental power. They are also called the Istari by the Elves. Uh, they were sent by Valar to assist the people of Middle Earth to contest Sauron. I see. Now, now hobbits. Hobbits are people, but they're little. Is that right? Yeah. Well, now, they, no, they, they mean, must there's... be pickers. They got some serious. Don't they have a lot of like like foot hair? I did not. I did not, and I do not believe
2: anywhere in the Lord of the Rings saga that there are any half hobbits. So although oh. elves seem elves seem more other and more foreign to men because of their uh because of their eternal life you can have a half elf a man and an elf can mate uh, and by man I mean men but cap, mankind cap, capital M men. Man man capital M. A a human person and a elf of uh, what whatever however You'd you have to describe get the elf wouldn't genres.
0: you have to get the elf pretty drunk though? Aren't no. they pretty aren't they aren't the elves pretty fancy about being elves? Ah, uh, Except humans and Neanderthals mated. So I, su- I suppose. I mean, I guess it depends on like you know where you're where you're you know. I think that if, if you're, you're socked in for the
2: winter, you know, piss on a spark plug, right? My sense of an elf is that yes, having sex with a human would be slumming somewhat, but when did that ever stop a person? You
0: call it on the DL.
2: There's there yeah. There's a. Uh, well, on the DL actually started, I think, within the African-American community. I think it's in the
0: African-American community, yeah.
2: As a description for
0: being gay.
1: Secretly. I
0: disagree. I think it started in the African community as a way of saying, yeah, I totally have sex with other dudes, but we are not gay. Oh yeah, yeah, right.
2: That's what I when I say having sex with other dudes on the down low. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that they are gay but are acting straight. They are claiming not to be gay. They're the sin, not the sinner. But in but in fact that that is the that was the only socially acceptable way to do both things. Um, that's that's down low. But I'm, I but yeah. so I don't think elves having sex with humans is down low. I think that that's just like they're. Well, there's an element of sexiness to degradation, right? The, you, you know, yeah. There's, there's a kind of... The sex is dirty. We talk about it as being dirty. They see humans as rough trade. It's a little rough trade. That's yeah. exactly right. But I don't have any... I've never seen any reference to a half hobbit. And it seems like, <laughs> is there
0: a rougher trade than having sex with a hobbit? They like to drink. <laughs> they like to stay at home. They seem like they'd be ideal sex partners in a lot of ways. They they love, they love to eat. Well, you so in,
2: in the books, they don't talk a lot about girl hobbits. But in the movies, they really, uh, I mean, the girl hobbits aren't part of the adventure, but the camera loves a girl hobbit in the mm. movies, right? Mm-hmm. The camera just lovingly pans over these big feasts where all these kind of voluptuous, red-haired, freckled, uh, girl Hobbits are serving big platters of, of uh, beast. Yeah. And I have to say, watching the films, I was like, why are there no half Hobbits? Because I'd make a half Hobbit. Sure. They may keep under story. wraps because of people like you. Well, exactly. Like, send me through a round-doored uh, mound house. And let gonna, me make I'm gonna go some half pack, hobbits. going I
0: go in there and pack a pipe? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there and eat a second breakfast. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree. Code for easy online payments. You can learn more about Braintree right now by pointing your browser to braintreepayments.com supertrain Listen, are you a developer, mobile developer? I bet you are. I, I know a ton of you are you got to go look at this Braintree. This thing is nuts. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, GitHub. Why not use the same simple payment solution that helped those companies become what they are today? Because Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, so easy, and so seamless. It's almost magical. It's like conjuring an orb. You add it into your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, you can bet... Braintree BrainTree will be there to support that too. Braintree has fast payouts and continuous support. That means you'll always be ready whether you're earning your first dollar or your 1000000000th you You're going to see fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. Please go check this out for yourself by going to braintreepayments.com supertrain. I am told this is literally as simple as dropping in a few lines of code. It's that easy. And if you're having trouble, don't worry. You can you can uh, get in touch with the uh, the boffins over at Braintree and they will help you integrate this into your code. It's that simple. Braintree gives you a full stack payment solution, support for all the major payment types, single integration works across all platforms with superior fraud protection, customer service, and you know it, buddy. Fast payouts. And now here's the thing, Braintree is going to give people listening to this program the first fifty thousand dollars in transactions fee free when they go and they visit braintreepayments.com supertrain Please go and check this out. We love these folks. They've been very supportive of the show. Thank you very much to Braintree for making payments so much easier for everyone and for supporting Roderick on the line. Do <laughs> 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 you think they know him second breakfast? Oh, oh,
2: they're gonna have a second breakfast. <laughs> oh all right. my
0: goodness. Um now I'll tell you what throws a lot of this off for me is you know, they talk you talk about talk about like imprinting on something. And thing is I imprinted on the word warlock through bewitched. Oh yes. So that's where I learned the word warlock. Where really bewitched, it's all about the witches, right? You got you got Tabitha, you got Andora, you got you got uh, sexy bad Tabitha. Yeah, but think about who played the warlock. Okay, you got you got Paul Lynn.
2: Paul Lin and anytime Paul Lin is on, oh, good point. He is chewing up the scenery. He's stealing the show.
0: Yes, and Paul Lin made Warlock and sexy. I can think of two other Warlocks. I'm not remembering their names. One of them, one of the Warlocks was there was Uncle, was Uncle Arthur? Uncle, no, Uncle Arthur is Paul Lin, right? Mm, You got the one guy. What's his name? Maurice. You got Maurice. And then you got that guy, you got that guy who's like dum-dum-dug, and he's like the guy who always is the bomb guy in World War II movies, you know? The guy who always plays like a British officer. Right, 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 right.
2: Yeah. But but what I'm starting to notice is that all the warlocks in the bewitched cosmology are on the down low, right? They're all (gasps) a little gay.
0: Oh, interesting. Maybe this explains why there's no half warlocks.
2: I don't know what a half war. I might even, I, I feel like maybe a half wizard. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a wizard that. What
0: about the kid? What about the kid? They disappeared. You've got, so you got Samantha and Durwood and they got their kid. They had the daughter. Uh, uh, what's the daughter's name? Boy,
2: you're deep into it now. I, I can't go this deep on. The, but you
0: got the, the daughter, and then remember, don't. This is one of the early examples of disappearing a character from a show. Was <laughs> they added? They had the strap-on kid. You know, when you get you gotta have a wedding, you have a, have a strap-on kid. You add a kid to the mix, and they yeah. added this little kid, and then the, the next season began, he's gone. Well, that's not even
2: that's not even as close to as baffling as the fact that Darren changed from
0: one completely one guy to a completely different guy. His whole personality changed too. The original right. Darren, the original Darren Dick York was he was befuddled but he was he still you could tell that he really loved her. Yeah. And the second Darren, he seemed he seemed like he was a little crabby, wasn't he? He was a little bit crabby, yeah. yeah. And I guess that was to kind of amp up like how far we're we going to take this whole, you know, Witch in the uh, suburbs thing. Yeah,
2: Witch in the suburbs.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about escape to Witch Mountain, Right, Escape to Witch Mountain. That's the brother and the sister to Disney movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember much that happens in that. That was in the Benji era. Yeah, that's right. It was it was in the Jody Fo- young Jody Foster era. Escape to oh, Witch it's Mountain. Candleshoe. Candle
2: she was in right. That's right. Candleshoe.
1: Escape to, Escape
2: Witch, to Mountain. Witch Mountain was a was a very formative film for me because the brother and sister had some magic powers, some witchy powers. Yeah, and they were being pursued uh, by Donald Pleasants. Oh, I love that guy. Or Donald Pleasance's, uh yeah,
0: Donald Pleasance. Oh, no, no, you're talking about the Donald Pleasance at, at uh, Avignon, Ray Moland. Ray Moland. Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
2: Uh, but they had witchy powers, and they were like, you know, they were being, adults were bad, and adults had authority over them and sort of power over them, but then they could do these little tricks. They could levitate cats, and they could, you know, unlock doors. They had telekinesis. And as a kid, as a, you know, eight-year-old or, seven-year-old, I really, really, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to imagine a world without adults. Imagine a world where adults couldn't put you in your room and lock the door. But I was prepared to imagine a world where I had telekinesis and could unlock the door or could, you know, like get a bowl of ice cream from the kitchen and float it into my room while nobody was watching. Right. So Escape from Witch Mountain, very, very, very influential on me. And it was scary, too. And then, spoiler alert, turns out they're UFOs. Are you even kidding me? No, they're UFOs. (gasps) Stranded. Stranded here because there was an UFO crash. I never knew that. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Because Because it's a little confusing at the end. You know, all the way through the film, they're having these flashbacks about, like, they're they're in the waves. There's like their dad. And all dads. of a sudden, it
0: goes from fantasy to science fiction.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's not that they were little witches. It is that they were UFOs, and and they didn't even understand it. They were like, "What are these weird powers that we have?" Because the spaceship crash happened in their very early memory. Okay. What are these little power? You know, how can we do this? We're we're such weirdos. Only we understand one another. It was a little incesty too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they can talk to each other, huh? Uh, yeah, they can talk to each other with psionics. Mm-hmm. Now, psionics, mm. my again, my understanding is incomplete, but I believe psionics are strictly a Dungeons and Dragons
0: power. There are several things that mark me as a slack D and D player. As we've talked about in the past, we would never play encumbrance. We wouldn't deal with the turn stuff. We just wanted to like have adventures. We also yeah. didn't do a lot with psionics, which frustrated some people. I think it depends on what you grew up with. Now, as a, as somebody who came to the X Men late and is is a fan of, of Phoenix and stuff like that, or like Scarlet Witch, I, right. I think we're talking. I think you're talking about Scarlet Witch and Phoenix kind of powers, right? You're talking about mind things, mind things. So like a like a like an illusionist or a magic user, they're that's a trade, almost, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. to have. Sp- I mean, obviously, you've got to roll the right numbers, but you don't have to have like extraordinary abilities to take that up as a trade. It's like it's like, like becoming a mechanic.
2: I feel like Ricky J is a uh, this world magic user, right? I mean, Ricky Jay. Can't I think he's an illusionist. Write. Don't you think he's an illusionist? Well, he's an illusionist, but if you could be a magic user in this world, I think he would be able to. You know, we work up some spells. Had a little hammer and pestle and you know, take some, grind up some herbs and make a little, make a little spell. Okay. Causes you to forget the last six hours or causes you to, you know, like makes a sword dance, makes a candlestick dance. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, But, but a magic user. And honestly, my first Dungeons and Dragons character was a magic user. Because uh, that's what you rolled? No, because that's what I sought. Yeah, I, I that's wanted kind of to be what we did too.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I was just like, um, make him a magic user. Make him. I think he was also a half elf, half elf magic user. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that's what my first character was, uh, because because again,
0: that's kind of how I thought of myself. You've you've talked about this a bit in the past, and I don't I don't want to beat it into the ground as a bit, but it sounds like there have been times in your life. We're not not to say that you believed you could conjure an orb, but like it wasn't an impossible thing that would definitely never happen. I kept being confused about why
2: i couldn't let's say let's say that i was I was just a little disappointed and a little confused, and I think uh, and, and, and this confusion was it long long predated my exposure even to Lord of the Rings or really any kind of magic. TV show magic, I just, I just didn't understand if anybody could do it, it surely would be me. Why can I not do it? And, and, and and then it was then it was equally hard to accept that nobody can because that didn't seem right either. Like why humans can do quite a bit of magic in the sense that, you know, we build bridges over rivers. We, it all seems kind of magical. Right. Why then would we not be able to to act at a distance with, you know, just tinkling our fingers or even even just holding out your palm and little sparks dance?
0: Yeah, there's there's some in the in the Marvel world, especially like in the X-Men, there are there's there are people who start out with these abilities that are super interesting but I think they feel like it's not enough for to build a whole character on. So then they give them like, oh, they can also get big or get super strength. But right. there are people like I, th- I want to say long shot. I want to say maybe Psylocke. But there are these there are these characters who one of their ab- abilities is what you could just roughly call luckiness. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, it's really interesting. But <clears throat> basically, what, Scarlet Witch before she's able to make you know. Scarlet, which is such a weird, like huge deal in the comics and increasingly now in in the movies, but she was an interesting. Her basic skill at the beginning was that she could change the likelihood of things going her way. How awesome would that be? Like, so So, basically, she. But you get people like who are. It's only like when Harry Potter takes the uh, good luck serum, right? And uh, same here. Like, you have the ability to like somehow alter the odds of how things are going for you and your team. They always give the awesome defensive skills to the women. So it's like, it's like now all of
2: a sudden you have a 56% chance of any outcome, but it would seem to me within those worlds that, that would, that, the that the temptation would be to just make luck go their way every time. Right. Which wouldn't be as interesting
0: as like, well, let's hope. Let's hope luck goes our way. There's a better chance than even. Yeah, but that's the whole story. of Peter, That's what makes Peter Parker so great is that like his whole obsession is that like he wants to take what he has and use it in a good way. You know, with right. great power comes great responsibility.
2: Right, right, right. Well, let me ask. Okay, here we have Professor Bald uh, yeah. and, and his school for mutants. Yeah, right. If you, because mutant ability seems to, you know, it comes out across the human spectrum, right? Yeah. Like there are mutants from everywhere, and they have a lot of different powers. And it doesn't seem to me, first of all, two things within X-Men.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It doesn't seem that you ever get two people who have the same powers.
0: Um, Depends on how you define that, but no. But I mean, there, there are two the X-Men Cyclops. In pre- yeah, but I mean, there's, especially in the 90s, there were way too many X-Men with way too many powers. And so there's lots of people, there's lots of teleporters. Oh, I see. For example, teleporting... there, there are people who can phase through solid things. There's several characters that can do that. I see, I see. But if like Cyclops had a baby with another mutant. He did. Uh, did that baby also have Cyclopsian powers? Oh, way bigger than that. Now, it depends on which universe you're in. Oh, I see, I see. So, like, there's one universe where he and uh, uh, Jean Grey had a baby, and there's another another universe where he and uh, Madeline Pryor had a baby. But mm-hmm. basically, they hope Summers, his daughter, becomes, spoiler alert, becomes uh, the new Phoenix.
2: Oh. <clears throat> that's a, I, But, but yeah. I thought
0: Jean Grey was basically top mutant. Uh, Jean Grey's, uh, when she became Dark Phoenix, uh, she's even beyond an Omega level mutant at that point. She's got, she, she's got, she basically, she eats a world. She pulls a Galactus on this entire like star system. So she's as big a deal as like Big Blue Penis Man? That's interesting because Big Blue Penis Man, I mean, how do you have more powers than Big Blue Penis Man? Oh, I mean, that's, that's he's he got does, it all. He, he didn't have the power to just not be interested
2: in what humans
0: thought. Yeah. Yeah, they compare him to uh, Reed Richards a-, a lot. But, you know, uh, we should— Isn't uh, Reed uh,
2: Richards the stretchy man?
0: He's stretchy man, yeah. I also have to—I owe you an apology. I, I read too quickly. Uh, <clears throat> in the 1975 film Escape to Witch Mountain, uh, that features both Ray Moland and Donald Pleasance. Oh, so, oh. Uh, Ra- Ray Raymaland was Donald Pleasance's proxy. Oh, right? is
2: that right? Donal- Donal- he was Ar- Aristotle
0: Bolt and Lucas Duranian.
2: Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, right. So Donald Pleasance was the one that was sitting with a white cat, like slowly petting a white cat on his he, lap? He literally was. He
0: was, yeah. if you remember, I believe he was uh, that guy. I remember all too well. Wasn't he? In uh, in the James Bond movie, he was that guy. He was the, the pet the white cat. What's guy. his name? What's, what's his name? Uh,
2: Boris uh, uh, Kar-
0: Bar- Karloff. Bob Bar- Boris Karloff, right, yeah. from the great <laughs> Universal movies. But here's another thing about X-Men
2: that I want to ask. This seems like something that is that I do not know, I don't even have a gag about. Yeah. It's just a question. If you were a mutant who had so I'm talking about uh Professor uh Groovulon's uh house of mutants. Yeah. School of mutants. Yes. If your mutant power was uh that every time you sneezed it you sneezed glitter. Yeah let's say you just sneezed glitter. That was your that's a definitely a mutant power. Yeah. Right, like whoa! If you were like a glitter sneezer, your friends and family and stuff would be very concerned, and then ultimately like not into you, right? Like you can't live among us. You're you're Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer. That's right. You're a, you're very much a mutant. So this glitter sneezer has all the problems of a mutant. Like don't live around here. Every time you sneeze, we get glitter all over us. Glitter, and it's impossible to get off. I think the character's name is Gazuntite. <laughs> <laughs> but is glitter sneezing a big enough mutant power that that Professor Xavier will have you in his school? Oh, like would you pass the audition? Yeah, right. I mean, it's a it, the school can't contain everybody. It can't have every single glitter
0: sneezing mutant. No, no, it's a good question. Well, here's so, the thing. where would you go live? Are <clears throat> you got, you gonna, the mutant gene is out there, right? And the mutant gene causes people to have these mut- mutations. They usually appear somewhere around puberty. And the truth is, for most people like, run-of-the-mill, like, people are trying to pass, yeah. you know? Uh, they don't want to get clocked as being a mutant because, uh-huh. obviously, they become an outcast. And, you know, the very the very first, like, four pages of the 1975 X-Men is them trying to, like, burn down the building that Nightcrawler's in because he's a mutant. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole thrust of the story is that these people are different. So you got a lot of people out there who are trying to... Um, is that the word? Pass? Yeah. Who are trying to pass as being a homo sapien. And... Uh, and so if you're just out there and the, the thing, the one thing you
2: can do is like talk to mice, but mice don't really have that. Many they don't have a way things. to talk to you. Well, or they can you like know, having You're have one very powerful walkie talkie <laughs> or you No, even if you can communicate back and forth. Cheese, cheese, uh, cheese, cheese. Yeah, right. Mice don't have that much to say, right? <laughs> Holy like, shit. Cheese, cheese, poop, 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 cheese, cheese. Run, run, cat, run. God, cat, cat. And
0: so that's your that's your ability. Uh-huh. And you're like, but you're not of, even you're not even like Ant-Man. Ant-Man, who initially was so lame. Ant-Man's initial ability was to control ants and communicate with ants. <laughs> they, the thing is, they kept ginning him up within like like fewer than like 10 issues. They were ginning him up to where he could not only get very tiny, then, then he became giant man. He become really yeah. big. But at first, the very first issue of the Avengers, basically, Loki has fooled Hulk. And is trying to cause, he's basically like trying to cause this this giant descent. All the Avengers are going after Hulk because they think he's a monster. And it's like, you know, Iron Man is doing this, and Captain no, this is before Captain America. But, you know, and Thor is doing this. And then it's like an ant man says, I will send my ants all over the planet to try uh, and find the Hulk. Get the get him. <laughs> but in this case, you're saying you're not even a mouse wrangler at this point. You're just no, a mouse. You can't mou- you're the, a mouse
2: whisperer. You can't make the mice do anything because you're like, mice, go to the place. And they're like, ah, cheese, cheese. Cheese, cheese, cat. They're not smart, no. But you know, my friend Mike, Mike Squires, who uh, is a terrible person, uh, he said that if he could have a, any superpower, it would be to give it would be to to uh, telekinetically, psionically, give anyone explosive diarrhea. I talk about spooky action at a distance, right? Because even if you're fighting Captain America, even <clears throat> if you're fighting Jean Grey. If you give her explosive diarrhea,
0: all of a sudden she's got bigger problems. She's got something else to think about. You give, I mean, not to cross the universes here, you give Superman super diarrhea. Yeah. He's all of a sudden in his super drawers. (laughs) He's got a fucking problem.
2: He's going to want to get out of there and go get cleaned up. That's pretty good. Right? Because nobody's going to want to fight you when they're all messy. No. It's It's very distracting. Yeah. So Mike's thing was like, explosive diarrhea defeats all other superheroes and bad guys because it's just like think about somebody who's so fucked up that they will continue to fight you after like it's awful it's an awful idea he's a terrible person but it's kind
0: of fucking great That's a good... I See, I personally... I'm very attracted to what I will call the defensive skills. The big... Now, let's get back to the mutants in a minute, because there actually is an explanation, kind of, for what you're asking about. But, like, yeah, some of my favorite skills are the defensive skills. Yeah, right. Like, teleporting. Teleporting is kind of a defensive skill. The ability to create a portal that other people can jump through, that's a fantastic skill. It's wonderful. Katie Katie Pride, one of my all-time favorite um, characters, she has the ability to basically phase through solid objects. So she can do stuff if there's a hostage situation. She shows up, and she can start sneaking people out through the floor and stuff oh, like good. that. That's good. I love those kinds of skills. So, I mean, like the, the banner, like marquee characters are the people who can, who can pound on each other. Yeah, but-, but imagine
2: if you could instill really crushing self-doubt All right. in someone, even temporarily. I think that like, the character's name would be Mom. <laughs> Jewish Mom. Like, here comes <laughs> Superman. Mike Squires causes him to have explosive diarrhea, and then I give him momentary crushing self-doubt so he's just like oh fuck am i doing this right no i why do i even bother what am i what's my hope and he's just like i I died exploding on another planet so you could live like this yeah and he just sort of floats off like (laughs) brow furrowed yeah uh pants soiled yeah like boom (laughs) who cares if he's as strong as uh as as kryptonite you know he can't there's a lot of strong people that don't have self-confidence you don't hear about them Precisely. So, so my superpower—the one that I devised after, after the uh, the most awful Mike Squires put into my head that it wasn't necessary that you have like a strength, some kind of like, uh, Boppo Biff power. Yeah. I. That's when I started calling myself the Oxidizer. Oh, is this you wanted to be Rust? I wanted to be Rust. Right. 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 I remember this. Because although rust wouldn't work against Superman necessarily within, because I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking more of a mutant power rather than like a superpower, but as a mutant on earth, you could, you could wreak a lot of havoc being able to just rust all metal. That's a very
0: destructive power. Yeah. Because like once it's rusted, you salted the earth. You can't really use it again.
2: But the thing is, like, it's, it's, dif- it's
0: defensive in the sense What if sense you could that- turn every car into a Fiat for just a short amount of time? <laughs> I'd
2: kind of actually be into that because there are a lot of cool Fiats.
0: All right, okay. But, like, let's say the cops are, like,
2: coming at ya. you. W- it's not like you're going to kill the cops or even, like, Magneto, like, take their guns away. and Because Magneto, it's not that he takes their guns away. It's that he turns the guns on them, right? He's, like... He's a baddie. Yeah, he can stop the bullets and turn them around and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but what if you just rusted the guns? Mm. Like, bah, and then it's not that that you you haven't killed them. You haven't. You're no threat to them. You've just taken away their power. You've taken away their human power. I get it. I get it. Right? Like, and so it's a destructive power if it's misused. But I think it would be an a, it'd be a great. I think you could be. You could be an agent of peace, Merlin, because mm. you would you'd go over to conflict areas.
0: You turn swords into rusty plowshares.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You'd hammer swords into uh, yeah, right. One of, like, the, one of the great bluesmen, like R- te- old rusty plowshares. They <laughs> called rusty them
0: rusty plowshares,
2: who had the power of tetanus, <laughs> but yeah, tetanus and slow blues. He was james. blind. He was blind at birth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, think about that. You could go over and there's big armies attacking each other, and you're just like. Rust. And then what do they do? Yeah, they have to but, they have to I, play soccer on Christmas Day.
0: Don't we increasingly have fewer things made out of metal though? I mean you got things like you got you think about the armor that people wear. Isn't that kind of like a super plastic? Mm. Yeah, but I think that I think that the
2: metal like here's your big titanium airplane. Right? It's it's uh, here's your stainless steel it? Right. But then the clamp that's holding the wires that are that are part of the fly-by-wire system like the staple that ultimately holds it all together is still made out of fucking steel all
0: oh, right i get it i get it
2: and so you just you know you just take it apart like like all those ceramic guns that people are worried about getting through airports or whatever the the barrel is still metal oh right huh. it's there's a lot of ceramic in it but as far as i know there's no ceramic barrel and and then ultimately like there aren't ceramic bullets Right, the casings are still metal. You, they didn't it, would, make...
0: it. would suck to have a kind of power that, uh, like, when they come up with it in the 40, 50, 60s is incredibly powerful. But then, over time, it just becomes less and less relevant. Like you have the you have the ability to disrupt ninety six hundred baud modems or something. Uh, or the ability to cause all uh, hair pomade to suddenly <laughs> be gone, and all all the pompadours fall. And just sort of... he has the ability to blunt a straight razor. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that would be terrible
2: uh, because you'd, yeah, gradually. I mean, and I feel a little bit like that. A lot of my superpowers are becoming more and more irrelevant. <laughs> like the ability to tell a 54 less Paul from a 56 less Paul <laughs> is not, nobody cares anymore. Don't seem like such a wizard anymore. <laughs> yeah. The, the ability to argue with someone for four hours about whether or not The Long and Winding Road is a good song is not, I mean, although I was practicing that just yesterday. But I feel like 20 years from now, it's going to be a lot harder.
0: Can I ask what side you're
2: on on that? The Long and Winding Road?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm an originalist, mm. so I do
2: not like Let It Be Naked. I mean, I like it as a document, like yeah, an, sure. an interesting sort of like, oh, that's interesting, sort of like all that Beatles box set stuff that came out where it's yeah, like but you're saying
0: this is the one that went
2: up on the screen. How do we feel about that? Right, and I don't feel – I do not at all believe – the rev- the Paul McCartney revisionism, because A, I do not believe McCartney revisionism just in general as a blanket, because I do not trust Paul McCartney to not be working to try and preserve what he imagines he wants his legacy to be. Yeah. Right? Like Paul, the whole, like, I was the first one to take LSD. It's like, mm, I don't know, Paul, maybe, mm-hmm. but it seems weird that you're saying that now. Hmm. But the Paul's whole business of we never wanted Phil Spector to to do all that just seems a little suspect. Like, you sure you didn't? Are you sure? See,
0: I, I buy that with XTC and Todd Rundgren. Because mm-hmm. I get the feeling Todd Rungren's had this record. And it's like, this is a pretty good record. But, like, I, I'm going to make this way better. I'm going to go away for a little while. I'm going to do some stuff to it. Yeah. Now as it happens I happen to be one of the people who likes what he did to it. And uh-huh. I think in the fullness of time even Andy, Andy Partridge kind of came around on Skylarking and said, right. you know, actually he did a really good job with that. But the Phil Spector stuff, the problem is I I don't hate the long and winding road, but I think it's a I think it's somewhat slight as yeah. a song. I mean, as the uh, the bones of the song are not that great. It's a little grandma y as uh, as John would say. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad song. It's not a bad song, but what you remember about that song probably is the Phil Spector part.
2: That's exactly right. Bum, I mean, bum,
0: bum bum, that's what people remember.
2: If I mean, if you think about the lyrics, like the lo- the wild and windy night that the rain washed away, has left a pool of tears crying for the day. Uh, that is terrible. That that that's no uh, and Your Bird can sing, <laughs> right? And not only is it terrible, but it's the very beginning. It's the foreshadowing of all of McCartney's garbage lyrics from the seventies. Yeah, right. And so here, here it is. This is the moment in the Beatles where John is no longer contributing to Paul, where you know John is with Yoko somewhere. He's in. He's he's uh, having a bed
0: in, and he's. Strung out. He's he's yeah. I mean like let, let. I feel I feel this I have an albatross here, which is I used to be one of those people that I now kind of you know roll my eyes about. I didn't know the full facts about what John's life was like. Yeah. I thought he was mostly just being an asshole. Yeah. He was incredibly depressed. He was what probably addicted to heroin he at was that on point. On heroin at that point. He was, but John was a very very troubled person. What what. It, I guess I I consider myself a Beatleologist, which is silly, because I never really knew the extent to which, even by 1965-66, John was not a happy person in the Beatles. Yeah. What I think of as their creative zenith was almost an an improbable fluke that they had two or three records as good as they did, because John was so checked out. I mean, he was depressed.
2: Well, he was depressed, and I think... When I think about that, I think it is because John was an anti-authoritarian, and he was happiest when he was assailing the walls of the castle. And then once he was inside the castle, he, who could he hate? Right? He was the top, and everyone kowtowed to him. Right? Think of the uh, the, the the bowing and scraping and grovelling that most people did around John Lennon, circa sixty six, sixty seven, and so he could no longer be the anti I mean he could give back his mbe or at the very least I, he always considered himself an underdog and an outsider right underdog and outsider and all of a sudden he was the consummate insider whereas paul just you know he just loved it he was a performer he was a performer he was having a good time in 62 he was having a good time in 66 yeah. and i think that's paul's greatest strength but john must have found paul incredibly intolerable when John's role as the gadfly and the, you know, and the sni- the sniper was was gone cuz yeah, Paul flourished in that world. But heroin I think took him out of the game and also disinterest. And so you know, when Paul comes to you and says um woke up feel a bit like John dun, could be like, yeah, but you know, here we go, right? Like he's going to give you the, he's going to give you the, the, the ugly side, the dark side. Whereas when, you know, he's sitting there kind of half nodding out and Yoko is cleaning his ear with a (laughs) fucking toothpick. And Paul's like the wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day. And John's just like, whatever, man, fine. Okay. You know, good, good. Cause Paul's like, he recognizes at that point that he's, He's trying to get with he's trying to get up to John's thing. He's trying to appease John with using the word tears and crying. You know, he's like he's making it he's trying to make it morose because Paul wants to fill every space. So he's trying to he's trying to preempt John's criticism by saying like, "No, no, no, this isn't like a vaudeville song about how how happy I am. This is like no, the wild and windy night. It's like that's some George Harrison style stuff. Did you notice I sound sad? <laughs> yeah, I'm sad now. So there's so you have no, there's no criticism you can offer, right? You're not going to add anything to my sad song. And John's like, ugh, fine. You know, and Yoko's picking nits out of his hair or out of his beard. And it's just like, yeah, it's all, you know, it's all gone to shit here. But within the Beatles canon, I am not somebody, I mean, think about, Think about why don't we do it in the road, which obviously is a great rock and roll song, but
0: a pretty weak effort as from a songwriter's perspective. He's, he's pandering not to the audience, but to John. Because he, he knows that the one thing that will get John out of bed in the morning is rock and roll via the blues. It's like a 12-bar dum, dum, blues song, basically. Yeah. I mean, so
2: he's, he's you know, Paul's trying every angle
0: here. To like,
2: not only to win back John, but also to, you know, to fill, to fill the space that John previously occupied. And Paul, that's not, that wasn't the best job for Paul, right? Paul's job was to, was to make the killer, the killer melodies and the kill. He's, you know, he's killer, right? Mm -hmm. But like, Many times i've been alone and many times i've cried anyway you'll never know the many ways i've tried that's good hmm that's good because he writes a great bridge a great bridge One he's, of a, the, he's, he's the
0: he's the bridgemeister
2: top bridgemeister all right if he could just if he was just like a script fixer for other bands just just like you bring your song to Paul he writes the bridge you get out i mean he would pop music would be better mm-hmm. but but so I don't subscribe I don't think Phil Spector should have gotten involved. I think that that was some fashion, that was some trendy pandering. That was like having Eric Clapton play on when, while your guitar gently weeps. Mm-hmm. It didn't belong there. They shouldn't have done it, but they were bored and they were you know, and they they were bored and they were insecure, right?
0: Well, but didn't they also say that, I don't remember exactly when this happened, but when they added Billy Preston, didn't that kind of mm-hmm. liven things up? He was such a positive presence, such yep. a great player, such a great team player, but also such a positive presence on the scene that he was a, a welcome distraction for a time.
2: Yeah, super fun guy, mm. and he's out there, he's adding just brilliant shit all the time. Like, And the thing about Billy Preston is they don't push him forward, right? He's not like, Billy Preston's not putting... uh. He's not Clapton on uh, while your guitar gently weeps. He's just he's just filling up the space, and you could what he's playing, the way it's mixed, you could listen to it and not think, "What's this foreigner doing here?" Right? It could have been, it could have been just a London studio guy. It could have been, and it could have been, been Paul. George Martin. Could have been George Martin, right? But it's not. It's a fu- it's a fun friend, like that doesn't bother me. But I think the combination of Dylan. Dylan in 64, real, real, I think, real, or yeah, 66, really destabilized the Beatles because he was so cool and he and, and John wanted to be the kind of cool that Dylan was, not the kind of cool that he was. So that, that inserted this, you know, this uh, insecurity. And then swing London, right, swing London of the late 60s where everybody was an artist and everybody was having fun and sexy times. And, and Paul in particular, but the Beatles in general were out in the clubs. They were, they were trying to be part of the swinging scene and they really felt like they had to, I think that's where the Phil Spector stuff comes from. That's where the Clapton stuff comes from. They're trying to like make it within this cool scene that probably on the street level when, when Paul walked into a club, there was a lot of like, Oh, Paul's here. But there was probably also also from the cool kids a lot of like, oh, huh, Paul's here. And Paul could feel that, and he mm-hmm. didn't like it, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then all of a sudden you got <clears throat> the long and winding road. Hmm. Whereas when Kurt Cob when Tony Lash mixed, never mind. And two years later, Kurt was. Totally disavowing it in the press. I think at the time when they got those mixes back, Kurt was like, This is incredible. This is. This is so much because better.
0: What gets lost in that is that he loved, I mean, it's so funny because for a long time he would name check the Raincoats a lot. And then you go and you listen to the Raincoats and you're like, oh my God, this is a twee band. Mm-hmm. The thing is he had a huge pop sensibility. He, he loved, loved He liked the Meat Puppets poppy songs. Like he, he loved pop music. He and liked R.E.M. And, and how you could tease out what was happening, not just obscuring it in layers of Big Muff, but like being able to pull out like what this song wants to be.
2: Yeah, all the harmonies. I mean, he loved what Tony Lash did. Do not ever make that mistake. But then two years later, because every time Kurt Cobain walked into a room where he wanted to be cool, right? A mud honey house. And there was that same thing like, oh, you know, Kurt's here. And then also like, Kurt's here. Oh, God. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, I didn't like the sound of Nevermind. I wanted it to be raw and grittier and like no you didn't first of all and second of all those songs you could have made them sound as bad as as you wanted but they were fucking pop songs like there's nothing you know touch me i'm sick there's no way you can record that where it doesn't sound like it sounds Mm -hmm. you could could mix that any way you wanted it's still fucking touch me i'm sick but like you know come as you are you can't make that you couldn't have made that dirtier
0: well even even in bloom you know, yeah. in terms of like theme and execution, like it's it's kind of like a that chorus is just like a like a three chord pop song.
2: Yeah, there's some <laughs> sugar on everything he did. And it just it disgusted me at the time. Right. Because I was right in the thick of all that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you doing, asshole? Don't disavow that shit. Don't try and pander to those fucking scumbags that Olympia bullshit like that's the worst thing. That's the worst part of this whole culture. I'm am standing knee deep in this culture, and I know that's the worst part of it. That whole oh Kurt's here, like fuck you. Yeah. And but that was the that was the voice in his head. That was his Dylan in '66. You know, Dylan made those guys wait. They they came to Royal Albert Hall, and you know, and somebody came back and they're like, the Beatles are here, and he's like, oh, are they? That's like fuck. Yeah, they are. The Beatles are here. Like, put your teacup down <laughs> and fucking talk to them at least. Give me a break. But Dylan's like, oh, hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll they can they can come back here in a minute after I you know after I type up some more nonsense. And I'm b am huge Dylan fan. Don't I'm not shitting on Dylan. I'm just shitting on his attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fucking attitude. Yeah, that was his brand. I was so mad at Kurt
0: Cobain, Merlin. I think I've expressed this before. Because, well, but I mean, uh, you know, I don't mean the Monday morning Cobain here, but part of that also is like he got way more famous than he wanted to be.
2: I don't even know about that.
0: Really? Well... I think he wanted to be that famous. Don't you I think, think it was part of trying to reject re, in rejecting fame or the appearance of wanting fame, which is just anathema in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. Like, don't you think? I mean, part of needing to appear like he's rejecting fame, it's useful to also then reject the thing that you all like him for being famous for.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, and, and that's exactly right. He, 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 re, he wanted to appear to reject fame, but he was so caught up in the culture that he couldn't separate wanting to appear to reject fame from actually internalizing it and 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 rejecting fame like I, I think in 1990 91 early 91 I read several interviews with him where he was like we're going to be the biggest band in the world and he was being ironic and I mean, he was being sarcastic because he never thought it would happen and he was you know he was yanking everybody's chain like we're going to be the biggest band in the world fuck you and then he was the biggest band in the world and all of a sudden it's like well did you Did you want to be and what pissed me off was that he was and he could have used that power and he could have used that money and he could have used all that attention to accomplish the things that he wanted to do, you know, and and he could have made the world a better place. I was watching him closely because I wanted we all we all I mean, George Herbert Walker Bush was the president like we were ready to flip it, and it and it was the moment where you know where our generation came online, and it was like, yes, we're here, and look what we can do. And then it was like, oh yeah, what we can do is you know sit in a thrift store chair and barf on ourselves and then die. So, uh, well, that's a little bit <laughs> anticlimactic.
1: <laughs> sit, in a, sit in a
2: thrift <laughs> store chair in a loser t-shirt, barf on ourselves from heroin sickness, and then die. I was like, oh well. All right. Uh, I guess that wasn't my role model after all. And for me, that meant, you know, spending five more years sitting in a Godfather's pizza, uh, eating garbanzo beans because nobody would miss them and wondering what the fuck. <laughs> Look what he did to you. Look what he did to you. Right? It's just like I'm sitting there stealing garbanzos from a salad bar <laughs> and thinking <laughs> nobody's counting nobody's counting those. Nobody's counting garbanzos. Nobody uses those. And, uh, and now Clinton's president and nobody in the culture really has anything to say about it. And, and Kmart is selling grunge hats and it just all went to shit. And that, and now we have stained, you know, it just was like, boom, 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 boom. Right. And I, and I just, I put it all back on Kurt's lap and you know, whatever. Courtney wasn't even picking nits out of his beard.
0: Mm. You know what they uh, make uh, garbanzo beans into? Uh,
2: sebaceous cyst pus? That's right.
0: Cyst pus. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a little bit of garlic. It's good stuff. I Do Do you do this
2: where you go by, you're at the grocery store, and you're like, you know what, I want to be the kind of person that eats hummus. Like I wanna... <laughs> Aspirational shopping? It's aspirational hummus, <laughs> right? I want to be somebody that's got hummus in the fridge. I want to be somebody when he's looking for a snack get some hummus and he wipes it on something.
0: Yeah. Put a hummus wipe on something. Yeah. But then I I buy hummus
2: and it sits in the fridge for six
0: months. Well, you do because, I mean, it's a good aspiration. It's a good aspiration. But I'm like, for example, like for me, a better one with those would be like mixed nuts. And here's why. Because you pop the top off the mixed nuts and you eat them just as a thing. Hummus doesn't tell you this on the on the shelf but hummus wants other things yeah it's a hummus, condiment and what's what does hummus mostly want bread
2: oh it wants pita bread
0: yeah which you should need a lot of i'm trying to avoid that but you know you could also have uh carrots Car- see that's what i want i want to dip a carrot in a hummus because if i'm at a party
2: let's say i'm at a party and, the, and there's no anti-pasta tray mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's just a, it's like they got the vegetable platter oh the crudite I'll sit and dip a mini carrot into hummus all day. Yeah. Happy as can be.
0: But if I'm, oh, if I open my fridge and it's like,
2: yeah, there's some mini carrots all right. And there's some hummus all right.
0: And it just, it just sits there. It's like, I'm still fucking here, dude. Yeah. Still, I'm not going anywhere. It's not a you thing. Bought I'm pull you bought me. You bought me, asshole. That's right. You bought me. And then, you know, after like three weeks, it's like, is that even still good? Ugh. The mini carrots are starting to get a little dried out. We did an example of that. See, my wife wants us to live. She tries to, you know, have nice things in the house for us to eat that are, you know, they come from a good point, but they can be kind of aspirational. One of the primary disconnects is that my wife sometimes buys things, even though I tend to do the more than 50% amount amount of the cooking. Yeah. So like, but like, here's the kind of thing that happens is my daughter goes out to the garden at school, tears off a postage stamp size thing of kale and eats it and says, I love kale. Really? Yeah, yeah. And she did in that moment because it's fun to tear off a postage stamp of kale and eat it. And that's probably as much kale as most people want. Uh-huh. So, but then we get kale and independently my wife and I both get kale. And now we have two giant refrigerator filling bags of kale <laughs> sitting there saying, that's right, asshole, you bought me. And you uh-huh? yeah, you bought my brother here too, the kale brothers, right? Then they're just, they're just staring at us. And like, there's not that many nights where like, I you know, when I start to cook is when I'm hungry. I don't, I, I sometimes when I'm doing sous vide stuff, I got to think ahead. But when it comes down to like 5.15 and time to make dinner, you know, pretty much the last thing on my mind is kale. Kale is is maybe a third. It comes in third. You got to you got to you got a, you got to uh, you got a protein far and away the number one. Focus heavily on protein. There are nights when I make just a protein and then i 'll cut up some uh the, you know some demonstration cucumbers, just so I can say I gave my kid a vegetable right, but you got you got the primary protein then you got the second thing, which is often a starchy thing it could be a rice, it could be a noodle yep, rice or a noodle and those are those that 's the main part of the meal for my daughter because she 's a child she'll she 'll eat all of the noodles she 'll eat ramen she 'll eat egg noodles she 'll eat pasta whatever she 's all about the noodles. And then, you know, I got to be honest with you. Like, if, if, we're, if it's getting to be 545, I, I might leave off the uh, kale. Right.
2: Mm. Right. Well, yes. Uh, uh, you have a juicer, though.
0: <clears throat> yeah, we have a juicer, but it's a whole thing. And you got to take it out. You have to interact with it. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm a range top man. I do a lot of things with the range mm-hmm. and the microwave. But and- you've got gas. We got gas, yeah. Yeah, and I
2: don't have, I, my house is plumbed for gas, but I have, a, I have one of those cooktops that's like a black glass cooktop that just makes me, I don't know what it makes me want to do. It makes me want to break it with a hammer.
0: Yeah, that's one of those decisions where even if it does produce the same BTUs, it feels like a design-based decision rather than yeah. a functional decision. Precisimal. We wanted this to look pretty. We didn't want to have those coils like our parents.
2: Yeah, I, want it, I don't want it to look pretty. I want it to look functional and cool. Yeah. Uh incidentally, I need to go back, and I'm sure I've already gotten forty tweets about this, but it was not Tony Lash who mixed never mind. Butch it was, Vig. No, Butch Vig produced it. It <gasps> was Andy Wallace oh! who mixed it. Andy Wallace, famous for having mixed uh the Slayer records or produced the Slayer records. Is that right? Yeah. So they picked Andy Wallace because Slayer was heavy and cool. And they wanted to sound like Slayer, which, again, feels like an ironic, somewhat ironic choice. Like, yeah, let's get the Slayer guy. And then he uh, made it like cool, like weird sounding, a little bit, you know, new wave. Uh, And uh, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, both Wallace and Vig noted years later that upon hearing Wallace's work, the band loved the mixes After the album's release, however, members of Nirvana expressed dissatisfaction with the polished sound the mixer had given Nevermind. (sighs) Uh, uh, Cobain said in Come As You Are, the uh, definitive rock book by uh, my pal, uh, said, looking back on the production of Nevermind. I don't know
0: who that is. Who? Come As You Are, author. You're going to make me look this up, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Who wrote it? Emily Nagowski. Em- Nagowski. Emily Nagowski. I'm trying to figure out who wrote "Come as You Are."
2: Uh. Well, wait a minute. Now, uh, uh hang on. I'm now I'm googling. I don't even know what I'm. Oh no, that's a book about sex. That's a book about sex. Uh, a about sex. uh, uh oh oh, oh uh, e- uh, baum. I'm so sorry I derailed us.
0: Bow, bow, anyway, bow, bow, as bow. they mentioned in the book.
2: Oh, uh, right. Uh, let me go back here. Uh, Butch Vig. Oh, was no. A- My, Michael Azarad. Oh, that guy from uh, This Band Could Be Your Life. Yeah, right. That guy's and, great. And uh, he's like a super nice guy, too. And he uh, runs now the Talk House a website where I have written several articles. <gasps> That's him, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah, I, I really
0: around. enjoyed that book.
2: Yeah, and he's a sm- he's a very smart guy, and a very he's a very committed to music journalist. He journalism. seems to anyway, like music. Mm-hmm. Uh, within uh, within his book, Come As You Are, Kurt says the following: Looking back, here I'm going to do my Kurt voice. Okay. Looking back on the production of Nevermind, I'm embarrassed by it now. It's closer to a Motley Crue record than it is a punk rock record boo (laughs) boo what an asshole A asshole thing to say B it was never a punk rock record you ding-a-ling and C what an asshole thing to say like like okay well why don't you go make a record with Steve Albini while he actively scorns you through the entire production my sense of being in that studio was with Albini being like yeah that was pretty good I mean Fine. I don't know. I think he's, he sounds like a pretty straight up guy to work with. Well, yeah, but Albini went on record <clears throat> saying he thought that Nirvana was like a middling punk band, like a kind of a middling mid-talent band. And he wasn't that impressed with them. Wow. And it's like, well, if you're going to say that after having made a record with them, I can only imagine what you were like day to day. You know, he's,
0: he's walked a lot of stuff back in recent years he's he seems like he's mellowed a lot and I i'm not trying right. to apologize for him but there's a lot he said some very controversial things in the in the past that he's kind of walked back because i think yeah. he realized he was being kind of a dick
2: well yeah i mean he i think he, i think we don't think of albini as being young because he seemed like prematurely old and wise to us mm, right 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 but yeah he was not he was not that old
0: did you ever hear the um the the tracks it was recorded kind of as a lark but he and Cheap Trick were doing a record and then they ended up recording a bunch of tracks from In Color re-recording them with him really? yeah it's really good I mean you know everybody listens to that because of course In Color is famously like this very thin sounding album yeah um, with some great songs on it. Like if you ever hear the, you'd be, many people would be surprised to hear the original version of I Want You to Want Me because it's pretty thin. But that was kind of the style, you know? The thing is, now, now of course, they, they tour on that for 20 years and then they record this thing with, with Albini in 1998 and it's got barely any overdubs. It's very basic, but it sounds fucking great.
2: Yeah, well, and his like no overdubs thing, totally Uh, like I get it, right? That was the 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 Seattle band that I had in the mid 90s the drummer uh uh, a friend of mine named uh lewis and he's a wonderful guy but he was he he said to me very early on in the in the time that we were playing together he was like listen reverb is shit don't use reverb on anything it's garbage and i was like really i mean it's a knob on my amp it says reverb why wouldn't i Why wouldn't I turn it kind of like I turn the mids? Like, I don't know what the mid knob does either, but why wouldn't I use the reverb knob? And he's like, reverb's garbage. And he was coming out of that school of like, gated snares are garbage. It's like, well, gated snares are just an effect. They're an effect like chorus. They're an effect like anything. Uh, Reverb's just an effect. You can put it on or not put it on. You can use it as a tool. It's just a musical sounding thing. Right, right. But this, all these all these prohibitions on what you could and couldn't do in order to make music that like sounded whatever. It's like, fuck. So, and I was in, I was influenced by this. So I'm walking around for five years going, Oh, reverb is bad. I didn't believe it, but I also didn't know how to counter it. And, and what it turned out was I liked reverb and I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough knowledge self-knowledge because I wasn't a record listener I wasn't I didn't stay contemporary I was just sort of Ugh. I was you know I was I was susceptible right but I mean Albini was 30 years old when he made In Utero and yeah I mean I remember being 30 years old I probably still would have said the reverb sucks or whatever, you know, like I would have, I wouldn't have known better. And he probably knew a lot better than me.
0: But he would do stuff with the room. It wasn't.
2: Yeah, he'd move the mics around. He did it like old fashioned style, but, but you know, there's a difference between doing the thing strictly because it sounds good and doing it slightly motivated by, because slightly motivated by the feeling that if you say you did it this way, that sounds good. You know what I mean? Like if you move the mics and it sounds better to you, yes. If you put the mic in a coffee can and it sounds better to you, yes. But if you put the mic in the coffee can, sort of kind of thinking about how that's going to read in an interview after you do it. Oh yeah, we put the mics in a coffee can. Yeah. That changes things. And I was never a hundred percent able to, it it seemed to me a lot of that stuff was in order to say that you didn't do any overdubs, more than because overdubs didn't sound good.
0: Which is not, it's a little bit soft work. It's a little bit, ignorant is too strong of a word, but when you make blanket statements about anything like that, any more, you know, it's the same kind of people who say like, oh, you know, CGI is ruining movies, which is like a common thing people say, which is such a silly statement and such an ignorant statement because it, it indicates so little understanding of like how movies are actually made. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I was saying this to Syracuse the other day. Like, it's almost like people saying salt is ruining food. Well, salt ruins food if you use it too much and it's all you can taste. But, like, salt actually does a lot of good stuff. And I'm, a chorus chorus that you barely even notice, reverb that has a certain effect in this one part, that can be extremely effective. You wouldn't, but, just, yeah. you wouldn't just reject it out of hand.
2: Well, and also, I mean, think about, think about Band of Horses and what they what they do with reverb, right? It's, a, it's absolutely crucial to their sound. And it enables you to sing like, and it sounds big, right? It's like we think about reverb as something that Enya uses. And first of all, Enya is great sounding. If you think about what I think Enya did the music to the Gladiator.
0: Enya is fascinating. I just read a very long article about Enya. What did Enya do? Enya did a music, did a song that got used by CNN after 9-11. Mm. And she got, you know, um, residuals, whatever you would call it. Like she yeah, got sure. paid for it. Yeah, sure. Every time they would go to their, let's talk about 9-11, they would play this little bit from an Enya song. And she, she was making money like a doorknob in a wet sweater. And now she lives in a castle and, uh, with cats and doesn't talk to people.
2: Doesn't talk to people,
0: right. Fascinating. What a way to go! Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it great to be able to be great to just go live in a castle with some cats?
2: Well, see, we've talked about this before, right? I always wanted to live in a castle with cats until I moved out to Rainier Beach, and I realized, oh shit, I just kind of want to sit in a cafe and be around people. I don't want to talk to them, but I don't want to not be around them. And if I lived in a castle in Northern Ireland and yeah. never saw anybody, I think I would go bananas. Which I think is what's yeah,
0: happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you know, you like my my friend in college used to say, "You are your options." So I'm just saying, if one of your options is a castle full of cats, that's a nice, nice, uh, nice thing to have in your utility belt.
2: See, that's very dope. You're I, wouldn't
0: want right. that to be, I wouldn't want that to be my only resonance. You probably get great reverb in there, too. Well, so here's Albini in 2011.
2: Albini says, I can't really express how much my admiration for Nirvana grew during the course of making that record. In utero. In utero. This is 2011. I was familiar with them, but I wouldn't have considered myself a fan prior to working on that record. But during that making of that record, I genuinely came to respect them as artists. Now, this is the type of quote that people will send me to refute my contention. Like, oh, no, he came to respect them. That's what he says. Well, that's what he says in 2011. But I remember in 1993 or 4 reading him say, I was familiar with them, but I wouldn't have considered myself a fan And then following up that statement with, and I found that they were a pretty mediocre punk band in the course of recording them. And, you know, and I'm, I understand revisionism. I know it happens all the time. Uh, I got into fucking big flame war on the internet with four or five people that I ended up blocking when I was talking about Tom Petty, the look on Tom Petty's face when Prince stole the show at the, uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of George Harrison. Uh, there are a lot of people that were forwarding me an article written just recently where they interviewed Tom Petty and he was like, oh, I was so psyched. I, I was so amazed at Prince and I was so psyched. And, and uh, he looked over at me and I was like,
0: go, man, go. It's awesome. I think there's a couple ways you can read that face. That's one of them.
2: Well, I don't think you can read it that way,
0: but but okay. <laughs> you thought it was more like, okay, Tiger, dial it down. Not,
2: well, not even that. I thought it was like, Night, you know, like way to step on my way to step on this awesome celebration of my friend, George Harrison, with your ego solo. Like, yeah, that's what his, I with saw.
0: his compulsive one upsmanship.
2: Well, and also like Prince, I mean, I a, a lot of people have responded to me in, in this, but uh, w- I think a very interesting comment, and you know, and uh, we're, we're in that stage of. Lionizing Prince. Yeah, this is the wrong month to uh open a critical the critical appraisal <laughs> of Prince. Prince. Right, but you know, one of the things about Prince was he wasn't above showing off in a way that wasn't necessarily like musically brilliant, not, you know, he was capable of sitting down and playing fucking brilliant stuff. But he, when he was on stage, he he understood that his job was to show off and to put
0: especially on a great t- well and especially as he got more and more kind of isolated or choosing to not be out much like it was always an opportunity for him to re- seemingly as fans the way we read that is it was always his opportunity to remind us that the kids still still got it
2: yeah right and so his solo is thrilling it's inc- it's incredible but it's not i mean he he pulls out every little you know he's like doing stuff that's kind of corny almost and the guys on stage are going to recognize that too right those guys are no dummies everybody on that stage knows that when prince goes it's he's showing off right so anyway you sure you want to pursue this anyway i i saw that look on tom petty's face and it could i it could have been clearer to me but you know it his uh his response several years later, 10 years later, when somebody interviews him is, oh, yeah, we totally loved it. And it was amazing. And if you watch, and he claims in that interview, that he had three or four interactions with Prince during that solo where Prince came over and they were looking at each other. And he was like, keep it going, man, keep it going. And you don't see any of that in the footage. And You know, another person commented to me that how convenient that all these, all these, you know, these moments where Petty was, you know, going, do it, do it, man, Uh, didn't make it into the final cut. And of course, there were cameras on everybody at that show. And you know, if you were directing that film, that if Tom Petty was saying to Prince, keep it going, man that that would have been, you would have zoomed in on that. That's not a thing that you would have said, well, we could look at that or we could spend that two seconds zooming in on the keyboard player. So uh, that kind of revisionism, I understand it. 100%. Nobody wants to say, yeah, I used to shit talk Nirvana a lot. And now my opinion has changed. Yeah. Um, the, the impulse is to say, oh, no, I really came to respect them over the course of that record. Well, no, you really came to respect them over the course of 10 years of thinking about that record. I don't know. It's You don't get very far in, in, in my world shit-talking Nirvana. I'm sorry, shit-talking Steve Albini. And I, that's not what I'm doing, right? Yeah. I'm just making an observation. One of the things I've never understood, and this is such a can of worms at this stage of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But... I, I've never understood Ian Mackay.
0: Huh. You know what I saw the other day was really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by us. Hi, John. That's right. Uh, we actually have a product to sell, and we're doing a commercial read. Hi. Hello. Hello. You can go and buy our T-shirts. You go to CottonBureau.com, and uh, you can buy our T-shirts. You can also look in the show notes for this page at uh, RoderickOnTheLine.com. If you look at episode uh, 199, you will see that we have two. Well, one very new, brand new design and another uh, updated and streamlined design.
2: That's right. So two different T-shirts. One is, I mean, the Super Train one from before. We just took the Roderick on the Line part off because if if it says hashtag Super Train, that's self-explanatory.
0: That, it's better in a lot of ways because that's a code. You're going to yeah. find each other out now on the road with your fellow travelers. You can see Pound Sign Super Train. You're going to know. Yeah, Pound Sign Super Train. Uh, so that's the one shirt And that's for people
2: that like to wear black shirts And then there is another great shirt Which is uh, a shirt with the picture of my orange
0: bell The original bell The bell that you've been hearing Except no substitute You can have this bell And it's got, what do you call those, ding rays? It's got some ding rays on the
2: side uh, There was some compute, uh, yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah, right, But it's got the little ding rays, so, ding that rays. so that it's not just a bell It's a ringing bell It's a fucking bell and that's and it does say Roderick on the line in smaller
0: letters yeah, underneath. Yeah, but this is classy. This is a classy shirt. This is another very heavily coated shirt. So here's what you need to know. You can go to show notes for this episode at Roderickontheline.com. You can also go to CottonBureau.com and find it there. Just go to the show notes. And you have until, I believe, May 23rd. Yeah, there's two weeks where you can order these shirts. That's right. And then they're not going to be available. They'll ship in early June. But you need to go and do this now. Do it quickly. Tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, two very handsome shirts Yep. And uh, we're proud of these. We really don't, love the way these look. Don't sleep on this. If you live in Denmark, if you live in Christchurch, yeah. let's say you live... What about the Balkans,
2: John? If you live in the Balkans, absolutely, fucking you want one of these shirts. If you live in uh, the, the Maldives, hmm. order this shirt. You'll be one of a very few people in the Maldives. Uh, and uh, that has a shirt, and you'll feel very proud
0: of yourself. Here's the thing that happens, is people say to us, they say, how can we support your show? How do we give you money? And you yep. know what? We don't, like, we don't like to ask for your money. We're not asking for, for your, your cash in hand. We're saying if you want to support the show and you would like to have a T-shirt, this is your opportunity. This That's is, right. This is the way that we do this, and if you would like to be somebody who shows their support for the show, this is one of the very rare times where, where I will say to you, this is a way that you could do that, and we, if it's a shirt that you'd like and would wear, I would be grateful if you would consider buying one. Even if you don't wear T-shirts, these are suitable for framing. Yes. And if
2: you've never been in a house where someone has framed a T-shirt, it's fucking amazing. And
0: if we ever see you wearing it, we will sign it, whether you like it or not. Oh, right. I'll jump on you and sign it.
2: Mm, Make Uh, a little half hobbit. If you wear it to an event that we're having or you wear it to like a tweet up or you wear it around thinking that we're going to bump into each other, that offer is no longer uh,
0: applicable. So please go buy a shirt. Thank you to our friends at Cotton Bureau, or especially our friend Jay for helping us out there. And uh, thanks to uh, us for supporting Roderick on the line. Yay, thanks us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> you know what I oh,
0: love? Man. I love the song. I love the song Overkill by Men at Work. I've always loved it. Even at the time, it was one of those songs I felt like, I don't exactly know what this is about, but it seems important. And I remember even then thinking this song is kind of a cut above the typical, like, new wave hit. And I I mean, I'm always drawn to, uh, what's his name, Colin Hay performances, like Colin Hay just playing that solo. He's still doing it. It still sounds fucking great.
2: I, I think that the amazing thing about them is how dark they were in in all of the
0: tunes, other than the super hits, and even kind of in the super hits, super hits still had a, like a, 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 a even a dark sense of humor or something a little bit like, hmm, these guys aren't quite right. Right? There's some you know they're
2: goofing, and 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 in a way, not they're not goofing like they might be
0: giants. But they had but, like kind of like almost like this is gonna sound weird, but like a a who circa nineteen sixty seven yeah. sort of like oh this could be about diddling kind of feeling like yeah, something right. could be fucked up here, super fucked up and and I and in the I
2: mentioned they might be giants in the sense that their songs are really dark if you a lot of them if you dig into uh, oh them. yeah
0: if if you um, listen to the lyrics <laughs> if you listen to the lyrics and think
2: about it even for a second, but like uh, you know be good Johnny you know there it's not just it's not an overkill right yeah it's a mistake like those tunes if you really dig into them even sonically they're dark you know they're weird a lot of weird minor chords and and strange sort of sonic constructions that that even at the time when when there was a lot of stuff on the radio like men without hats like men at work versus men without hats There's nothing, I couldn't dig into anything deeper on Men Without Hats than Safety
0: Dance. Yeah, it's a terrific song, but it's kind of a novelty song.
2: Yeah, whereas Men at Work, I felt like there was was a reason, in a way, and this is another can of worms, in a way like Dire Straits. There was a lot of deep dive on Dire Straits.
0: Oh God, are you going to criticize them? No, my God, I
2: couldn't. (sighs) You know, like, the man's too big, the man's too strong. I listened. That's one of those songs I listened to forty times in a row, because it was just there, it was imparting so much to me. But like Dire Straits, I, I don't understand a single criticism of them. Maybe a little bit.
0: Like well, you know, they're they're who hit, they, they they're, socialize with. Maybe their hit record, like so many of the hit records of that time, does sound a little dated. But you know, who, how can you blame that on anybody? Whereas something like. Even like their, their second, third record, like still, I mean, they sound like maybe like a record from the 80s, but I think Sultans of Swing has a, a timelessness to it. Well, not just that, but like, okay, you take Money for Nothing
2: out. Let's just yeah. say Money for Nothing is just out. It's just, we're not even going to talk about it. But like Brothers in Arms, the tune.
1: Yeah. I'm going I mean, back. Th- I'm looking here.
2: There is some there is some weird production on that, like the sound of rain falling that you're a little bit like, really? Thunder and lightning on it? Okay. That, I'll let it, you know, that's a little bit Bob Seeger, but yes. But the tune itself, incredible. Right. You think of uh, So Far Away. That's a good song. I mean, there's, uh, in, even in, you know, like industrial disease is a little bit sort of proto money
0: for nothing, but... Romeo and Juliet? That's a terrific song. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking of, like, or that uh, Skate Away song. Well, that's Romeo and Juliet, right? Uh, I, I just, you know, what's funny is, like, I remember, I knew Salt and Swing from when yeah. it came out. But then Dire Straits were one of those bands. Oh, no, Skateaway is the name. You're right. Yeah, but it was one of those, um, it was one of those, I'm going back a little bit. Oh, that Alchemy Live record was so good. But but it was, uh, you know, one of those bands where they would have these videos, these weird videos on uh-huh. MTV. That were not like other videos, you know what I mean they were just yep. they were more like well, it's not bucolic, but they were like sort of I don't know, just weird like little like tone poems or something,
2: yeah, i mean so so they're goofball songs twisting by the pool, um uh money for nothing, and I don't know, like calling Elvis or I mean they had some they had some tunes that were. A little herp derp, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but but they had so many so many good tunes, and I think that I think that the fact that Marv not Mark Knopfler is friends with both Eric Clapton and Sting is one of the reasons that it's hard it's hard for people <laughs> to casually appraise them because uh-huh. it's like yeah. a a he wore a headband b he was friends with Sting normally that would be all you had that's as deep as you had to go right that's two strikes. Two strikes and you're out.
0: Headband and Sting. A lot of people won't remember that even by this time, Sting was seeming pretty insufferable. Pretty bad. Even during the synchronicity era. The the outfits that he would wear and and I will never. The interviews. The interviews with him. It's like, oh, with his stunt classes and yoga talk. I would never criticize that album because. What? Overrated.
2: Oh, so wow. overrated wow that's that's tough talk synchronicity
0: too it's a good song but i mean it's it's no uh like ghost in the machine okay all right i agree with that i mean it's, ghost I- in the machine and what was it? not zenyatta mandata what's the other one um but ghost oh. in the machine what was the one right before it um yeah zenyatta mandata,
2: zenyatta mandata holy
0: great. shit those two albums i mean but ghost in the machine was like wow you, here's zenyatta mandata you're like oh my god what more could they do and then ghost in the machine oh my god it's so good well, and this
2: is, uh, I mean, if you think about the first, what, four R.E.M. records? Yeah. The first four U2 records? Yeah. I mean, all those early police records, it's, yeah, there's it's a staggering. lot of good stuff there. And then it all went to shit in all three cases.
0: <sighs> so anyway, uh, Colin Kaye <laughs> is a great singer.
2: Walking in your footsteps? Come on, Synchronicity 2. King of Pain, even if you hate Wrapped Around Your Finger, it's still a good tune. Oh, yeah, I guess. Every Breath You Take, look. Oh, come on. You're killing me. Every Breath You Take is like U2's One. If it was, if anybody else, any other band did that tune, you would think, even as a one-hit wonder, but like if, uh, even if Dire Straits had done Every Breath You Take, but like if Every Breath You Take had been done... By Donovan, even I mean it would
0: be like the best song in their catalog. Let me read you five five titles. <laughs> okay. Can I read you five titles? You ready yeah, for go this? Ahead. Go ahead. Number one, "Spirits in the Material World." Yep, yep. Number two, "Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic." Yeah. Well, Number three, "Invisible Sun." <laughs> Number four, "Hungry for You." Number five, "Demolition Man." Yeah, that's right. side one. All right, that's a
2: tough that's a tough act to follow.
0: I mean, that's 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 up there with like Master of Puppets for like a, an amazing side one. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then you got Omega Man. Oh, man. Even their throwaways are so fun. And admittedly, T in the
2: Sahara is... Is that another Andy one? No, no. T in the Sahara is Sting doing his Sheltering Sky song. Like, he read Sheltering Sky, and he wrote a song about it. And it's so awful because it's like well it's like his song about lolita Mm -hmm. right like don't don't read a book and then i mean because you just feel like he's not commemorating he's not like it's not a tribute to it as much as it is an a co-optation of it
0: right okay here's the thing is i remember reading an interview with him in probably like maybe guitar player no it was was, but it was some major music magazine it was around the time of dream of the turtles or whatever. Dream of but, the turtles. And then like they're talking about the interview and Sting's sitting there and his bare feet, like with his yoga outfit on and he's, he's got a yellow legal pad and a rhyming dictionary. And for some reason, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Like, that's why that's so awkward. Cause here's the situation. I want to write a song. Parents went away
2: on a week's vacation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Parents ain't nothing but trouble. But, um, but, but so, you know, Sting is sitting there going like there's, I want to mention that I've read this book.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You know, but I can't just, I, you know, I don't want to just mention it. Like it has to be a little more slide than that. So I'll just mention the op- author's name. Oh, but here's the problem: his name's kind of hard to rhyme. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she starts to shake and cough. Yeah, just like the old Look. man in that book by Nabokov. Oh, God. <laughs> Still. He- still pretty great you just you want to kick him in the shin but but also like like, go watch that that, video go watch that video and tell me you don't want to be in that band if that was the only if that was his only crime yes you get you just say
2: like awesome right yeah it's one of those crimes where it's like that was awesome and then
0: reflecting back on his later crimes
2: you go oh that was just a harbinger
0: like you would not i mean it was troubling for a long time when elvis costello got this beef for being a racist Mm -hmm. Um, where he had used a um, the wrong uh, the, word, he used the n word to describe to describe Ray, Ray Charles, Charles, and also called him blind and ignorant. Now that was the story that went around for a long time. Yeah. Turns out, from what I hear, he was doing that to troll. Oh yeah, Bonnie Raitt. no, not Bonnie Raitt. Um, uh, Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett. Yeah, but basically, he was trolling them because they were they were being all like. A, a certain way. Yeah. He was, he was, he was, he Elvis Costello, not only loves Ray Charles's music, but like is a giant fan of huge amounts anyway, but basically he, it was a total troll, total troll. Now, is that and, true? That's what I've heard.
2: Yeah. I think and then, I, then he
0: got punched in the eye. I think not only
2: do I feel like it's true, but absolutely plausible. And as and you totally know, the
0: kind of thing Elvis Costello would do,
2: as you know, I was Elvis Costello's driver for two days. That's true. You were. And Elvis Costello, that is absolutely in keeping with him. Um, and it just, it just so happened that that kind of, uh, that that trolling happened in earshot of a, of a reporter that wanted to take him down. Um, and what can, what what can you say? I mean, yeah, it, it, uh, it negatively affected his career and maybe, Maybe that taught him a lesson, right? I mean he he pulled that same stunt on Saturday Night Live, and they never had him back. Yeah, or, you know, or or a similar degree of like. I'm going to stop the song that we agreed I was going to do, and I'm going to do the song that we agreed I could not do.
0: Right, that um, you specifically told me not to do.
2: Yeah, right, and and you specifically told me not to do it because of bullshit corporate reasons. Uh, One, two, three, four. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that was cool, except the people watching probably didn't realize how cool you were being. Yeah, and the people who were,
0: were <laughs> your ru- kids are gonna
2: love it. <laughs> yeah, like the people who are running the show, uh, it was not cool to them, and yeah, so. I, Elvis Costello did a lot of things that in the fullness of time, we look back and they seemed kind of legendary. Like, wow, he, he did that. Whoa. He, you know, and you forgive him, you forgive him for what he said about Ray Charles, because it's a little bit like the, it's a little bit of Mussolini's train running on time. Like it's, he was <laughs> being, it, he was being ironic <laughs> just as the Italians were being uh, right? like, yeah, it's, and it, and it entered the it entered the lexicon as a thing meant, to, you know, as a thing taken straight when it was meant to be, you know, taken to mean the opposite. Uh, so what do you, you know,
0: like- anyway, Colin Hay is a fantastic singer still today. <laughs> I'm going to read you six titles. I'm going to read okay. you six titles. <laughs> OK, don't stand so close to me. Yeah. Driven to tears. Driven to tears. And then, of Boop. course, you go straight into when the world is running down, you make the best mm-hmm. of what's still around. Mm-hmm. Number four, canary in a coal mine. Ugh. Number five, voices inside my head, six bombs away. And what I don't know... It's also got man in a suitcase and da 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 What, I, what I
2: don't know... Is that we're talking about albums from an era where we bought albums and listened to them all the way through until you, you knew every song. knew every song. Not only knew every song, but every transition. You would get to the if, if you hear one of those songs on the radio now at the and, end. And it of doesn't it,
0: go into when yeah. the world is running down. Yeah, you start singing the next tune before it starts. That's like and, playing "We Will Rock You" without playing "We Are the Champions." And and I and I
2: wonder if that. <sighs> If that will ever, if we'll ever return to a time when people digested complete works in that same way, that, you know, that you know. the, those first four police albums, you know, all of the Beatles records, all of the, I mean, in a way for me, all of the early Easy Top records, although I know not everybody follows me there.
0: Yeah, well, but I know I, I take you mean like right now you're going like, oh, I hear the Beatles are good. Let's do a mash them up. With the, with a the super shuffle and you're boom, she came in through the bathroom window and you're like, oh, give me a fucking break. Yeah, that's, break. that's not the first a song. song you hear. That's a that's a that's a part. That's a part. That's like that's like that's like like only reading the nouns. Yeah, well, and, and you know, and the the Beatles
2: number ones, right? That 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 was put out as a record. Or I mean, and the, oh, but here's the problem: the Blue Album and the Red Album
0: are albums to me. Oh, God, that was that was where it started for me. Right, and so I... I started with the, I want to say the blue album. I started with yeah. the second one.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's, that's not Lady unusual. Lady Madonna. Oh, my God, I love that
2: album so much. So I, when I get to the end of a song, I'm as likely to think of the next song on the blue album as I am to think of the next song on the album that those records well, that, that came out that's on.
0: That's me and Neil Young's Decade. Oh like, yeah. That that is I mean, like that's one of those ones where you're like, hey, you know, if you only want to have one Neil Young title in your house, that that's arguably and I'm not I'm not even the biggest proponent of going out and buy a best of, but that covers so much ground and has so many extremely good songs on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, so like REM's eponymous. Which oh my seemed- god. Very early to do a greatest hits record on a band that, but you know, but that it comes with a free copy of Dead Letter Office. <laughs> but it I'm, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Not eponymous. Dead Letter Office had the outtakes. Plus, it came with a copy of Chronic Town, which felt like magic to me. Pretty smart. And eponymous that, was pretty good, though. That was their IRS hits. That, right. Right. And that was IRS trying to
2: do. I mean, was that a contractual obligation record? I think, but also trying to capitalize on the Warner success. Yeah. And the fact that like, hey, you guys, this is all good shit back here, you know, and we've got this catalog and please. Well, that's a strong record. It's so good. Yeah. You know, but what do you like? Greatest hits records can also be awful. I mean, the Eagles greatest hits are kind of the only thing you need to own. Hmm. And even then, you well, hmm. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe not.
0: Maybe the, the Eagles are your reverb. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, I'm, and I, I, I did won't. you watch that? Did you watch that uh, that two part movie on Netflix? Yeah, I did. I, I watch it like once a year. <laughs> yeah. I really love it. I just for Joe Walsh, uh, if nothing else. But like, I don't know. I, I get a lot from watching that.
2: The 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 when you think about the Eagles when they looked their best. Oh man, it's, it's kind of like the Beatles during Sgt. Pepper. Like, the Eagles looked so good when they looked their best. And then they looked so
0: bad Mm. when they didn't
2: look their best. Like, Glenn Fry, Glenn
0: Fry was empirically hot. He was a really cool, good-looking guy. When he had a mustache and was wearing... The the aviator glasses and the the, furry, the the collar.
2: Yeah, and the faded, like, very tight bell-bottom denim... When they all were wearing that denim, like the denim era of the Eagles, (laughs) they couldn't have been cooler looking. And then almost immediately when Glenn Frey like got into weightlifting or put gel in his hair, whatever, (laughs) whatever it was, they all of a sudden looked awful. And I don't I don't know how. I don't know how that would have. How you, and I mean, I have to say like maybe I fell prey to this myself, like every photograph that my band ever took and publicized looked awful because I kept shaving two days before our photo shoot for some reason. Hmm. For some reason I kept feeling like the beard was a thing that I wore all the time as a sort of as a muffler as a scarf an existential muffler yeah but when it came time to like actually represent the band and and show up for a photo shoot
0: yeah i'd shave it you hear, hear your dad's voice in your head like put yeah. on a tie <laughs> and then i looked like shit and then i immediately grew,
2: grew the beard back and so everywhere i went here i am with my beard and my shaggy hair feeling good mm-hmm. and i'd walk into the club and there'd be an enormous picture of me with my big fleshy
0: face that what it was. It was looking, looking like the cousin. You're not sure if you want to invite to the wedding.
2: Yeah, I looked so terrible, and and it was not just that, but I had only shaved two days before, so my face was kind of raw.
0: Yeah. Like it just
2: wasn't. And so when you think about the Eagles during that period, you're like, dudes, don't shave your mustaches. You look amazing, and they're just not thinking that way, yeah. right? Don Henley in his in his like literally his Henley shirts. Literally, I don't, even, I don't know if he did that on purpose. All through the seventies, he was wearing henleys, like hmm. collarless shirts, which we call henleys. I didn't know that. And his
0: name is Don Henley, and you're just like, really, uh, that's a guy. A li- he's a visual pun. It's a little bit punny, but <sighs> we should I talk don't. about handsome guitar players. I want to talk about David Gilmore someday. That that guy was super handsome when he was young. Oh, he's so handsome, and he was really he was a good player.
2: Well, and he's posh too. I think all those guys are posh.
0: They're pretty posh. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I, David Gilmore is my. If I were a wizard, mm. I would have kind of three choices for what my familiar would be. Okay. And okay. I think two I could have any two. Right. I feel like if I were and I do and I do believe I may be half wizard, but if I were a mm-hmm. full fledged mm-hmm. wizard
1: mm-hmm.
2: and when I wasn't when I wasn't making half hobbits with the with the <laughs> hobbit wenches I, I would be walking around. and making, I, making, I, making little Bilbo's. Making little, well, not Bilbo's. They'd be Bill Rods. <laughs> I, I Bil would
0: Rod the half hobbit. Little
2: Bill Rod, half hobbit, half wizard. If wizards are, are angels of some kind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I would have two familiars, right? I would have a, a raven that was flying ahead and checking for Nazgul's. And just, you know, he's just flying ahead, right? He's watching. Sure, sure. I see you, Crow.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then he's either coming back to report to me, or he's psionically reporting to me. He's the three-eyed raven.
0: But he's also he's a little like a Rottweiler, where like he knows when to go off and do his own little uh, campaign, and then come yeah. back. Yeah,
2: he's doing his own business, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit independent of me, right? Sometimes he's not dependable because he's working his own angle, mm. right? But he's mostly allied with me. But he's 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 an independent guy, and what, you don't he, have a
0: formal. You don't have a formal uh a uh, raven to human relationship but but it's something where like out of friendship and uh, and mutual uh, admiration and and really mutual mission yeah. you, you kind of need each other most of the time yeah he keeps close but if there are a bunch of other ravens
2: it's not like he's not going to He doesn't work and... for you Exactly
0: he's okay. like the giant eagles like
2: if gandalf can summon giant eagles to take to rescue frodo as the as Sauron's uh, mountain of fire collapses okay. why couldn't gandalf have just summoned those eagles to take him there In the first place, very uh, obviating the need for the entire quest. I guess it's because Sauron would have seen the eagles coming. But it also seems like maybe the Eagles could have taken them quite a, like a stroke. <laughs> quite a ways, right? If, if Gandalf can just fall Eagles, maybe yeah. they could have taken the taken the party
0: all the way up to Gondori at least. Okay, right? so familiar number one, choice number one in this array, John considers the Raven.
2: The right, ra- the Raven is there, and he's he, you know he comes and goes, but he's 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 a pal. Okay, familiar two, and then a raccoon. Okay. A raccoon who is kind of scampering along. I imagine a raccoon, kind of like the Guardians of the Galaxy raccoon, although maybe not that contentious. Mm-hmm. But like a raccoon that also can kind of communicate with me. And he's the he's a little bit of a trickster. Mm-hmm. He's, if I'm if I'm having a confrontation with somebody on the trail, he'll sneak around behind them. And that's
0: what he's there for. That's his performance character. You don't you don't tell a, a raccoon not to uh, to camper and, uh, and 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 twitter and and jive. Like that's what that's he nice. does. He skitters. Right, so he's, so they are,
2: you know, I'm, like, arguing with some trolls, and the, I mean, literal trolls, and the (laughs) raccoon is going through their luggage, right? Yeah, he's going through their luggage, he's fucking with them, he's he's untying their shoelaces.
0: looking, Looking for Middle Earth traveler's checks.
2: Yeah, right, he's fucking, he's like, he's squirting some toothpaste on their bag, and then I can say, oh, you've got a leak in your bag, and then I fucking rip them off. It's it's yeah,
0: it's kinda like paper moon. You you and your raccoon have a long con in Middle Earth.
2: That's exactly right. So you th- become a Bible salesman. If you think about the combination of a of a raven and a raccoon as uh-huh. your two familiars, uh-huh. I'm thinking that's some wizardry right
0: there. But if I oh, if man. I had
2: a third familiar, it would be David Gilmore. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <clears throat> well, what would he? Just like curiosity, what would he do for you? <laughs> I mean, he'd just think, be handsome. Think about traveling with David Gilmore. He has, you know what though? Like he's he's a ranger, right? He's exactly
2: he, a ranger. He's, You're exactly right.
0: He because he's got he's got charisma. He's got wisdom. He's got strength, and he's got ve- he's got very high charisma. And uh, I think he could probably do a lot of sweet talking. But I bet he has great he has great taste. We all know he has great taste. He's yep. very restrained. Yep. He's going to keep you on even keel.
2: He's super regal. Now think about you're coming into it, you're coming into a border town. Yeah. Right? You get through the gates and you're going to the inn and you walk into the inn and everybody in there is smoking pipes and they've got their hoods on their cloaks up and the conversation stops when you walk in the door and everybody turns and looks at you. And then Normally, they would go back to their conversations and you would feel like sort of, oh, okay, let's saddle up to the bar and see if there's a room at the inn. But now, reimagine that scene with David Gilmore. You push him a little bit forward. He walks in, stands in the doorway of the bar. Everybody turns and listens and stops talking. Hello. And then they continue to stop talking because it's fucking Mm -hmm. David Gilmore there. And he walks over and is like, "Your finest room, please." And they give you the finest room.
0: Ding. And he right? smiles. There's a little right? sparkle. Fucking David Gilmore is here, right? He was very, very handsome. Well, and when David
2: Gilmore walks into a to a club in 1969 yeah. uh London, and everybody goes, "David Gilmore's here." No one says, "Huh,
0: David Gilmore's here." Right? Right. right. He looks. He looks like he looks like he could be in the dismemberment plan. You know, if he was less handsome. He's so
2: wonderful. Look at and, that guy. And I mean, when David Gilmour says, "Here's how I record my solos," mm-hmm. I turn the amp all the way up. The end. Right. You're like, I believe you. I believe that, and I don't think that that is a put on. I don't think that's pretentious at all. He turns his amp all the way up, and that's how he gets his sound. That. And that's like, all you that, need to know. He, if he described any
0: more, it would ruin the lesson. Yeah. That's not... everything you need to know. Now you go figure it out. Yeah. Turn your amp all the way up. Right. Uh, and then your guitar will uh, respond differently. And uh, that's... Yeah. And then... it's, but it's but the thing is, it, it's not a recipe. It's a way of life. Mm-hmm. You can't use a way of life to make toast. That's you what cannot... a recipe is for. That's a recipe, right? Yeah. Turn it up right.
2: and then also...
0: Happen it's not to so... Be... I mean, it's not a recipe in the sense of going like, okay, you're going to have a, a perfect sourdough bread after you turn up your amp. No, that's not it at all. Turn up your amp and now go play for 20 years.
2: Yeah, go play. Well, and also be inspired and brilliant and wonderful. Yeah, be really good. That's the other thing.
0: I don't think that. That's having, the other
2: tip. That's the other tip. I don't think having David Gilmore as your father would be very great, though. Mm. I think that he is maybe a little bit of a love withholder.
0: Oh, uh, if you if you mm-hmm. get if you get my drift, that still that does not count him out for the campaign, though. You got a raven, a raccoon, and David. <laughs> You got a raven, a raccoon, and David Gilmore. I think you're going to have a very interesting campaign. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I don't need love from David Gilmore in that, in that moment
2: because hmm. the raven's not giving me any love and the raccoon barely is. <laughs> I, I'm, and frankly, I'm getting my love from two things Hobbit Girls <laughs> and a young Linda Ronstadt. Oh, man. Is it, she wearing skates? Well, uh, is she on the campaign in skates? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Even the Nazgul would turn away. She's wearing giant hoop earrings and roller skates
0: mm. and, and a raccoon and a raven. <laughs> David and, Gilmore David and Linda Killed, Ronstadt. And Linda it's giving me blue bayou just thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, shit. <laughs> why,
2: why is this not my life now? This should be a module. This should be. I mean, talk <laughs> about like, I didn't roll for this character. I chose this character. <sighs> Hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad.
0: Buy our t-shirts. Oh, shit. Yeah, but we can't talk about it too much. We're two hours in.